I'm Dave. I'm Richard. I'm Mark. And I'm Rob. And yes, it's that time of the year again, folks. The moment has been prepared for and you should be terrified that this is yet another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. That's right. The greatest Doctor Who podcast in the goddamn universe is back to help you ring in the Christmas cheer with all the familiar bombast, slander and fake news you've come to expect to give meaning to your shallow, empty lives. We've assembled once again at Dave's Manger in the Sky to celebrate not only the birth of your Lord and my Saviour, Jesus H. Christ, and also to discuss the Doctor Who. Coming down the birth canal to save fandom from its multiple and frankly disgusting sins are Jodie Whittaker's first year. Our favourite season of Doctor Who, aka why I'm right and you're wrong. Wrong bits of fan wisdom. The Target Doctor Who book club. Uncle Terry style. Fan wank of the year award and stuff! Look at the stars Look how they shine for you Everything you do Yeah, they were all yellow hyperventilated again at the beginning of the episode we are indeed back it's our fifth annual uh, staff christmas party the grinches are back indeed uh guys welcome thank you it's great to be back at the christmas party thanks for having us back on and you're so right after that rob are you <laughs> oxygen <laughs> let's crack on to the first topic so it's been a year on since uh, series 11 has aired what do you think of the stories in hindsight the approach, the production team, the portrayal. Now, you didn't watch them all, did you? No. Have you Have you no. made an effort to have a look at them no. since? Have you watched any of them? No. Oh, I watched up to Rosa. Have you re-watched any of them, either of you two? I've re-watched a couple. I haven't re-watched a couple and I haven't watched Resolution, which I should do at some stage. Yeah, because um, I haven't. I haven't looked at them since I saw them. Okay. When well, they, the, the ones I saw, I haven't watched them since uh, since they were on TV. Well, Dave, you, you're clearly you've rewatched a couple of them. What did you think when you did? To be honest, my opinion hasn't changed. Yep. I still think that it was a okay season. Yeah. It, it wasn't awful. I didn't despise them the way I do a couple of seasons of New Who. Yeah. But neither was it particularly great. I still say there were four very good episodes. Mm. No classics, but four very good ones. A few fun adventures and probably three just very very bad ones yeah and resolution for the most part was a pretty fun adventure some of it was a bit weird um it it did have chris chibnall delivering on his promise to have more gay characters by introducing one and then killing him 14 seconds later (laughs) (laughs) but you know it was a perfectly fun adventure and if we want to talk about what's coming next year Mm. the trailer that we had out last week would suggest there's going to be more in the style of resolution because that trailer to me basically said, okay, guys, we know you didn't like the first series that much, but come back this time because we've got lots of old monsters, we've got lots of explosions, and it's going to be a lot more fun. But who is that pitched at? Because there are obviously people who did really like the season that unfolded last year. Well, I haven't met one. Mm. But the setup in terms of companions and the Doctor hasn't changed. So for those people who actually enjoyed that aspect of mm. the, the, the last year, that's still there. And if, they're, if they've decided to retool or retinker the story approach... Well, they may be trying to grab from both audiences. But was the problem the setup and the cast? Was the problem the story? The problem was clearly the stories. So if they inject, is it? No, I don't don't think it is. No, I I think I think that the cast weren't good enough to elevate flat stories. 
or a flat season. But but given more to do and given a more exciting adventure, I think that Jodie Whittaker would be perfectly good. Graham, you know, Bradley Walsh would be very good. I enjoyed Toast and Cole playing the character whose name escapes me now. Well, and I'm... thank you. And look, Nissa was there. And she'll, and she'll continue to be a member of the TARDIS crew. I mean, the thing is with Yaz, she was never, she didn't, never enough of a presence to be a negative or a positive. No, no and I, I do think having the Doctor and Three Companions, I, I think, was a problem. That's true. I think for um, the structure of the story, and yeah, to give them and, enough and, to and do. as I said, I think during the merchandise episode, I do think probably having Bradley Walsh in that group does unbalance it somewhat. Because he's so good. good. Yeah, because he's good, and I, I think he does really steal a lot of the scenes that he's in so so what, what, what's your solution take away the best member of the cast to make it better I mean surely the solution is that you write more exciting stuff for the Doctor to do mm. and you elevate the Doctor but, but then again you, you would argue Three Companions has probably never really worked well there's, you, only, you, there's you, only really two companions Yaz doesn't really count surely Billy Ratzer mentioned she's barely got a pulse as a character but, but surely that's the if you're saying you want the young exciting cast the, the fam or whatever it is they call mm. themselves she would be an integral part of that. But, I mean, look, thinking back into the classic two, Three Companions has never really worked. I mean, you always have to sideline. But at least one. they had the time to do that. I mean, you, you look at the early Hartnell era where it's, it's four in the TARDIS. At yeah. least they, there's something for the, each of them to do. Perhaps less for Susan. Uh, as the, yeah, as the over series. seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I, I suppose there at least you have the ones, you know, they wipe them out for two because they're having a week off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still say, given good scripts with mm. monsters and explosions and really wild things happening, that cast could be very, very good. I think Jodie Whittaker has the potential to be a very good Doctor. She's just been given very flat stories. Given a script like Kablam, mm. which I think was more of a, a, a traditional adventure, she does lift a bit. Resolution, she did lift a bit. Uh, Yaz got five minutes of plot and res- resolution, and that five minutes, she was very good. Mm. It's not her fault she doesn't get five minutes. I think that if the new series delivers on what the trailer is saying it's going to... It could work. I don't know that it will. I mean, it could be that we've seen the most exciting two minutes of the next series and the rest of it's completely terrible. But more monsters and more explosions and just more excitement, mm. I think, will make for a better series. And I think we'll elevate all of them. Yeah, I think they'd be onto a winner if they did that. I mean, there, as you said, there were some good stories uh, last... It is 2018 that they screened them, isn't yep. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's remarkable how quickly the time goes. It's and been nearly 18 months, seems. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. There were some very good stories. And the one with the frog, I mean, I know that that, that, that is a polarising <laughs> story. I enjoyed that. I mean, and there's always room for a, a, a quirky story like that. Yeah. But, I mean, the, is it the witch... Uh, hunters, the witch finders, the witch finders. I quite enjoyed that. That was that was pretty good. Was that because of the story? Or was that because I must admit I thought it was an okay story. I mean, the, the main thing in that for me was Alan Cumming. Yeah, but I mean, who is clearly but, having an absolute ball. Doing and and that, how but. many classic stories are there? That's a very average story, just lifted by yeah. one of the regulars or a, a guest actor just having a great time and lifting it up. Paul Darrow. Paul Darrow. Yes. <laughs> Paul Hale, a great man. Yes, moment, moment for Paul Darrow. Carry on. And we're back. Um, yeah. So. I, look, I, the, the trailer certainly seems to give the impression that the production team have learnt and listened to what worked and what didn't work last year. And if they do go down a more exciting route, returning... We know the Cybermen are coming back. Uh, it may be that the Rachnos from the Tenant years is, is coming back. There is that image of that head. Well, that's that, what it looked like. It looked like that, whether it is. I, I thought they know, were quarks. <laughs> In the end, we're all quarks. Um, the Jadoon, which well, the, isn't going to excite 
fans of our generation, but if you're somebody who's grown up with a new series, the mm. Doom would be a big deal, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, what excited us 30 years ago mm. with returning monsters is the same for kids from 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. You're being very quiet, Mark. Have you got anything uh, you'd like to interject here? Well, what, I mean, what, from what you saw last year, and granted it was very minimal, but what you saw last year, what could they, should they have improved on? I did watch a Series 12 trailer. Yeah. And I just thought it was cut like a Fast and Furious movie trailer. Just didn't excite me. That's what trailers do. I know, but, but you're, just, you're only getting a taste of what, what's to come. Yeah. I just She doesn't convince me as a doctor. What would it take for you to be convinced by Jodie Whittaker in the role? So I guess that's really just the question you raised at the start, Mark, about fandom. And let's be clear, or let's be honest... There has been some pretty big divisions in fandom during the course of this year. Mm-hmm. Some of them are on your camp, Mark, where they're just, sorry, I've seen the year of Jodie Whittaker, or a portion thereof, and I don't like her. I don't like her doctor, I don't like what they're doing, and yeah, uh, yeah th- thank you very much, but yeah. I'm out. There are others who have been probably in my camp, which is, look, I didn't dislike her, I wasn't particularly engaged by her, good stories, bad stories, yeah, it was okay, let's see if they do better the second time around. Mm. And then there's been the, you know, the perennial... And, and you know, God bless them, they're the staples of Doctor Who fandom, but the everything's good, I love it, and just keep bring me Doctor Who. Those two camps have always existed, but I felt there's been a much bigger split in fandom in the last year between them, in that there has been a sense, and you guys have covered it before, of if you disagree with somebody from the other camp, you're not just holding a different opinion, but you are fundamentally misguided and wrong. Mm. Yeah, and, and some of the language, like I saw, I saw a big name fan tweet something today. Basically, they were followed by somebody else, um, and you looked at their profile, and it had Doctor Who 1963 to 2017. And basically, he said, I'm not following that person because he's a bigot. Wow. Exactly. But that's the internet. It's like... It's, 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 people twi- on the it's Twitter I know, I know it's yeah. Twitter, but the thing is, if you don't like it, you don't watch it, you instantly call it a misogynist, a bigot, you just call it all this mm. crap. But the other thing is, whilst I agree with you, Mark, if you dislike one series of Doctor Who, do you need to make the point of putting in your social media profile Doctor Who no, exists from 1963 I, to 19, 2017. No. Like, you know, there are series I would prefer didn't exist, but I don't define myself by but, that. But that's the internet age, isn't it? Surely, you, now everybody has an opinion. I, I was actually just going to say with you, with your, your, your classes of fans, do, do we think it's brought many new fans into the show? I think so. I mean, the thing that sort of got me a couple of weeks ago was watching that Children and Knee clip that was on mm. uh, the TV, and obviously that little girl... Who was overwhelmed, surprised, and delighted to meet mm. her doctor, which I thought was fantastic. And I did melt my cold, dead heart for a second and realised that it's actually made for that generation now and not for me. So then again, if we're saying it's not made for us, who cares really what we think? Well, that's exactly right. And the that's BBC the thing I really have had with this last series and probably all the stuff around it. I very much got a vibe of if you're not on board with this, this is the show. If you're not on vibe with this, there's the door. Basically. From the production team. Well, not necessarily from the production team. It is just the vibe. It's just the vibe I've had around it. Like we've cast a female doctor. We're going to go all, you know. As I said, they call themselves the fam, and they're uh, whatever. I, like I don't a know. Sex it, cult, doesn't it? Really? Well, <laughs> that, that's is, probably going a bit extreme. But, but this is the same conversation we had in two thousand and five when we first saw the first series of Doctor Who, and people amongst our friendship group and yes. our fans all said, well, hang on, they're doing this, 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 and I don't like it. But what they were doing was they were making TV in 2005. Mm. And all they're doing now is making TV in 2018. That's what TV is in 2018. For, for sure, which is why, as I said, my point is I think really, who cares what, what a bunch of, you know, 40-year-old men sitting in a room think. No, go, really? watch, go watch Mandalorian. Mm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I Can, think what a lot of people, what a lot of, for want of a better word, haters don't realise is that 
Doctor Who is now almost a 15-year-old product as a new series. Mm -hmm. And I think we've said this before. If Chibnall had come along and cast another 40 to 55-year-old white male, I don't know that the series would have seen out his tenure. I I think that to to re-energise or revitalise or grow the the fan base, something like Jodie Whittaker being cast had to have occurred. Whether it was Jodie Whittaker or a black actor or an Asian actor... I, I think that they needed to do something to kickstart the series again because, for all of you know the way, we, for all of uh, the appreciation we have for Capaldi and especially his last series, I, I felt that the show was was sort of heading towards a sort of it was just circling, it was stale, it was it wasn't doing anything. And you certainly can't argue that it created a lot more media attention than the new series would have otherwise got in twenty eighteen. Correct. And that it got a very big boost in ratings, people checking out what was happening. And then dropped off. So if I can just sidetrack us for a minute and then come back, because I think we're we're gonna because I think where the conversation is going dovetails with a question I had for you guys. And this is from the episode that the three of you did with Aaron from Low Boss Collectibles about merchandise, which mm got a lot of attention across social media. Well well done to you guys for what you did there. Um, you put out some views and some facts and some statistics and drew your conclusions and let others draw some. I, I had two questions from that. The first one is a bit of a sidetrack, but the second one I think gets us back to where we're going, Mark. Uh, my first question is, when you had the discussion about what items of Doctor Who merchandise you wanted to see, I was surprised nobody mentioned hardcover, coffee table, non-fiction books because I remember when we all were very excited in the 90s about the House Down on Walker's books and Cyberman and Timeframe. Is the new series at a point now where those sort of books would be interesting or would they interest you? They wouldn't interest me, I'd have to say. Um, well, they would need to be more insightful and less gloss. And spin. Yeah. You would yeah. need to... Yeah, less spin. You would need to actually have a, a, a really good look at the production history. You know, what actually has gone on behind the scenes to get my interest you'd really want a House Dammers Walker or a Pixley style book yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a glossy hey isn't this series wonderful type yeah. book and, and do you want that? I might read something that was maybe in the first style I might read an Andrew Pixley written book or, or that style of book um, I would, I would probably, I would certainly pick that book up over a glossy one just full of glossy photographs and mm. isn't for this sure. show wonderful yeah. for sure. Mark you've read the, you've purchased most if not all of the complete histories I've got the set, yes. So, have you had a look at the more recent, you know... I skimmed years? through a couple of them. So, was it just, just a straight dissertation of what actually look, happened? I mean, it, it, it looked, from the very few I've sort of scanned over, it, it does go into some sort of detail about the production, but I think it's a complete warts. It's, it's more around how um, Andrew Pixley did the archives, so around that sort of structure. Okay. It's not like saying, you know, Eccleston left after that one, you know, sort of thing yet. So, mm. I mean, even that sort of... Um, I did sort of go to the rows, you know, and just sort of see how they sort of uh, covered that. But um, yeah, but okay. I was, that was obviously done before Chris um, had just released his. So, uh, so there is a market for that sort of thing, Dave. Though that's really at the collector niche end. Yeah. Uh, is 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 there, a, as you were saying, a coffee table thing that you could sell it, you know, to a mass market at Christmas? I'd I'd be interested in it if it was a bit more than what's just a, a bit yeah. more what's and all but whether a, you know it, it, it would it would sell I'm not quite sure yeah I, I think that a genuine look at what happened in the Moffat era mm. would be fascinating like a genuine not, not tell all in a salacious sense but mm. there were clearly some issues with budget and production and personnel yeah. in yeah. the Moffat era that I don't think we really know about no that's right and we're probably 10 years away from that book mm. being able to be written but I think it would be really interesting mm. the second question I had for you and I pose it not because I particularly have an answer but because I want to have the discussion and I think we were kind of heading this way. Back 
when Jodie Whittaker was announced, Peter Davison was handed off Twitter. Yeah. Because he said, look, I think Jodie Whittaker's a great actor. I get why they're casting her. Don't have a problem with that. But don't forget that Doctor Who has always been for a certain type of young male student. You know, high, high school or upper primary school, junior high school, nerdy or non-jock, if you like, you know, boy. This has been a non-violent, non-jock role model. And that's really important for males and lad, you know, lads out there to have. And that he thought it was very dangerous for the show to not have that or for that to be taken away. Given the stuff you discussed in your merchandise episode, was Davo right? Or, as you said, Rob, did they need to have a roll of the dice and you know, that, that, that couldn't, you couldn't have not rolled the dice? Look, my personal preference, keep it as a male. Mm. But yeah, it was time for a roll of the dice um, because the show needed the show really needed a real injection of something to, to get it out of the rut that it felt like it, it was in. You know, Moffat stayed too long, and I think the sh- the show suffered and showed for it. So, to Richard and Mark, who are probably the two who've been most down on the casting and the recent series, well, just in terms of how many episodes you've watched at the very least, yeah, did did you feel that that lack of that particular style lead? Did diminish your enjoyment, or is it just pure coincidence? I, I would be honest and say, look, when they did the casting announcement, I was a bit okay. So they have actually gone and done it because there was obviously a lot of speculation that they were going to cast a female doctor, and it was sort of like, oh wow, they have actually done it. Um, look, I would have preferred a male actor. I don't really know. Look, I'd be honest and say I don't think I've seen Jodie Whittaker in anything else. I, I actually know. I tell a lie. I have seen Attack the Block, but I didn't remember that that was her. Um, yes, yeah, so I've definitely seen her in episodes of stuff, but I've no memory. Yeah, I was going to say, see, I've never watched Broadchurch or anything, so no. I, I've never seen her in anything. I went into it look with the idea that I would at least watch it and see what I thought. Um, I went in with the first look. The first episode is very much a setup, so look, I really wasn't expecting all that much from the first episode. I was really disappointed by the second one. Um, I just thought the story was weak. The Doctor giving up at the end. Um, that was, a really, that, that was moment, yeah. really poor. I just thought that was... And they could have done so much more with that story. Yeah. But... Um, Did you find it visually impressive? I was entertained watching them. And yeah. that, that's true of all the series, the ones I saw. And you can probably pick the ones I didn't see, actually, by when I was editing podcasts, but, um, <laughs> to, to be honest. But um, Rosa was an upswing. Yep. Um, without going through every episode, Rosa was a definite upswing. Um, I had some probably issues around the, the um, resolution of Rosa, but um, but yeah, overall, I I didn't think it was amazing. Uh, it just kind of happened, really. I, I come back to the fact that I didn't dislike the new series. I didn't think it was brilliant. My problems with it were not about the Doctor, except to say that the Doctor wasn't strong enough to lift what was a flat season. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I that's also the writing. That's the writing. Yeah, I, I would also say I think they are a companion too many. I, I think three companions is too many. Yeah. But well, as well, to yeah. as to which one you then drop, um, that's a fairly loaded question, I think, because everybody will probably tell you something different. Except for the fact that you can drop Yaz and make absolutely no difference to 90% of the material. Indeed, but I, I would probably also make the thing if, depending on how you want to structure the show, she is she the one you should be dropping? Because, again, if you're going back to this poor writing... I get that. You've got Bradley Walsh in the role, and he is the one person on that cast. I would argue Tosin Cole's pretty good, but Bradley Walsh is the one person on that cast who can take a flat 
episode mm. and lift moments of it, you would be mad to get rid of him. Yeah. Mm. It's okay. not, like, I get what you're saying about the structure, but you'd be mad to get rid of him. But mm. is it really a case he resonated with us and maybe not with other people? Possibly. But I thought there was universal love for Graham. I didn't see anything on social no. media or, okay. or, or, or... I must admit, with the fandom side of it, I actually was really quite surprised by how nasty it got on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I know people on both sides who've really embraced it. I know people on the other side who, you know, this is the... the, the to them. This, well, yeah, this, this is basically the beginning of the end times. Um, <laughs> I think, really. Yeah, which is ridiculous. There One of the signs of the apocalypse. There but, were some perfectly fun adventures in that series. Yeah, yeah, so I largely disengaged with a lot of the stuff. I, I'm actually still surprised it's still going on. I would have thought by now, you know, having seen the season... It would have quietened down, but it hasn't. Mm. Um, well, I think if anything, it's building up again because we are building a yes. Series yeah. Twelve. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. So I, I didn't know whether really Graham was a big hit with with across the spectrum or not. So it, it, look, it felt like that way, way, way to me. Yeah, okay. it did to me as well. Well, you guys are saying the writing is weak, okay? But then you're sort of saying that Graham or Bradley Walsh is the only one that's sort of lifting it up. Is that down to his acting prowess compared to the others? Yes. Right. Okay. So. And this is where I get back to my point. Is Jodie Whittaker a good choice? No, I don't think she is. I think that that question can't be resolved until we see the second series. Because there is the chance now to recalibrate. Yes. Mm. To give her some new material and see if she lifts to match it. Mm. And there's an opportunity for her to reflect on her, her performance as well. Because I tended to find that her she used enthusiasm in her delivery... To, to cover for she was just quite certain that's the, yeah, yeah, so it's funny I've got a Matt Smith type vibe that, that sort yeah. of dancing uh, around hand waving yeah I, I did too um, the other thing as well is that the role of Graham is a very not easy but a much simpler role to get a grip of you know he's a guy of a particular age a particular mm. background he's newly been uh, you know widowed um, there, there, you know, he, he, he's got a particular relationship with um, Tosin's character. Yeah. You know, th- there are things that you can get a grip on there, mm. and he was given some good speeches. And you know, he can do some of that role. I think Jodie's trying to find a way to latch on to her doctor, mm. and the script's not giving her that, and that's the problem. I don't think it's her ability. Mm. I just think she's giving, trying to get something to hold on to, and there just isn't a character there. There's a thousand year old time lord or billion year time lord the fact that she doesn't really is not interested in watching it or even uh, I suppose, interacting with the older stuff to try and maybe help her along to get something else I'm not saying you'd have to have it all the time but I mean you're the other doctors I suppose apart from Hartnell and no Hartnell really uh, have seen the show at some point and got something out of it but she, she's basically said no I'm not watching any of it I'm just going to do it my way but um, didn't Tom Baker once say that this, the, the role is actor-proof, that effectively anyone could step into it? And it's funny, when you think about yeah. the Davison era, um, I think we've sort of seen in other conversations, there are two outstanding performances by Davison that era in Frontios and Caves of Andrazani. Yeah. In both cases, uh, Christopher H. Bidmead and Robert Holmes basically said, we just wrote The Doctor. Mm. And kind of, I think they both just wrote Tom. Mm. And then when Davison is given a Tom script to do... He can do extras with that. I think David, David's a fantastic actor. He lifts a lot of very ordinary mm. stories in his era, just on yeah. his performance. But when he's given a Tom Baker script to perform, there's a whole nother level. And I wonder if, if the writers just went and just didn't try and write Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, but just wrote The Doctor mm. and wrote, you know, for, like they would for Terence Dix. Well, that's what Terence Dix says you do. Yeah, you that's right. You don't, you don't exactly. write a character, you yeah. just write The Doctor and the actor inhabits it. Maybe, maybe they're trying too hard and failing. I don't know. I, look, I'm more positive now towards the next season than I was uh, when I saw the trailer. I think they have recalibrated. Yeah. And I think the, the, the fact that they are saying front up 
in their first bit of PR, we are going to have monsters, we're going to have explosions, we're going to have more of the good locations, and it's going to be more adventurous. I think shows that they... And Stephen Fry. And Stephen Fry. And Lenny Henry. Like, like yes, and Lenny Henry. And Lenny Henry. Like, they're a big, they're a big cast coming in. Yep. This is still a very serious production. Yeah. I think that the fact they're emphasising those things means that they've worked out what, in my view, mm. the first series was missing. And they're deliberately going, guys, we know that was missing. We're putting a lot of that in here now. That's got to be possible. And even the, pe- the spin around it, I suppose, the byline is it's space for all. It's sort of like saying, well, last series, we really couldn't be bothered with the people who walked away, but now we want you to come back with this space for all. Am I reading too much do, into do, that do they, do they necessarily want the, the of course they do. back? Of course they do. We're the ones who got the money to buy the merchandise. Every 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 viewer is a viewing figure. Yes. Like, yeah, I, every I, viewer, get, I get every that, but as the good problem as is other. if it brings all the other crap with it, because well, be as I said, I very much got the vibe, it really is, if you're not into this, mm-hmm. I've just... just there's the door. I think but the crap is always going to be there, Richard. I think the crap is always going to be there. But if the show is saying, you know, we're, we're going to try and embrace as wide an audience as possible and, you know, there's room for you, the, the people who had, we had are problems. are a very broad church. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there, there. So, just to sum up, David and I will give it a go again. Yeah, I'll certainly watch it. Richard, I, yeah. yeah I'd certainly, I certainly will watch it. Mark? Mark? If you hear positive words from us, will you venture back into the show? Stay tuned. <laughs> wow, okay. Wow. To be honest, I think, that, I think a lot of it is just down to the modern storytelling that this incarnation of Doctor Who does. doesn't matter if it's Moffat, Chibnall. I watch it and go, yep, disposable TV. Is the problem really just you? Is it that you just don't care anymore? Is, is there anything the show could do to get you back or you, no. have you just moved on? I think I'm much more happy watching the old stuff than the new stuff. I'm happy with that. So, Fair enough. Yeah. And on that bombshell, we'll move on to our next subject. So moving on to our next topic, which is, uh, what is your best season of Doctor Who, guys, and why? Who'd like to go first? Dave, over to you. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so the brief for this was, what do you want to argue is the best season? So I took that as being best rather than favourite. Mm-hmm. If I'd gone favourite, I would have gone season 7, um, I would have gone season 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've gone with best, which is also one I really like, and that is season 2. Ooh, so okay. this starts with Planet of Giants, and it moves through to the Time Meddler. Yep. yep. The reason I picked season two is because I think this has examples of all the best aspects of Doctor Who and done really, really well. If you want a great Dalek story, well, there's the Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is, I think is one of the best Dalek stories ever. It's phenomenal. It's a great use of them. There's also a very fun Dalek story in the chase, so, you know, cover both ends there. Doctor Who, one of my favourite aspects is the historicals. Mm. And in here you've got two types of them. You've got the really dry Shakespearean the Crusade, which I think is a wonderful character piece, a really good historical. But you've also got the Romans, which is just hilarious fun, but explores history. Well, both of them really explore their part of history in a really interesting way. You've got sci-fi out there, like the Web Planet, which is just like weird, exploring space, you know, doing something very different, very imaginative, which is what Doctor Who should do. On top of all that, you've got a great TARDIS team. I mean, Hartnell, I've said it many times, my favourite Doctor. Ian and Barbara are fantastic, but Vicky's in there as well. Mm. And I think they all work with Maureen O'Brien better than they work with Caroline Ford. Mm. I think she's written better. But also as well, you look at the Doctor in Season 2, you've got everything in there. In The Rescue, you've got the sanguine sort of, you know, world-weary Doctor, but you've also got the funny Doctor, and you've got him confronting a mass murder in a really powerful and dramatic scene at the end. The Romans, William Hartnell's comic timing in there is just impeccable, amazing. Um, and plus, you've got stuff in the Time Medal. Peter Butterworth turns up, 
the first iteration of another one of the Doctor species. Everything that's good about Doctor Who, I think, is in season two, and that's why I'm pitching it as the best season. There you mm. go. Very good. There's a lot of good stuff in that season, actually. There's a lot of good mm. stuff. Yeah, potentially on Blu-ray next year, allegedly. That's interesting. That mm. would be interesting. Well, mm. what they need to animate to get that out? They don't have to animate. They've got the well, crusade. The I mean, thing crusade. is, they don't have to animate that. They can just put the, the um, tally snaps and okay. bang it out. Mark. Well, very similar today. If I, you know, it would have been easier to go for the best season, as in terms of you know twenty one or whatever. And yes, you were going through your list and why you chose that season because I just plumbed for season four. Ooh. Right. So, very similar in terms of they've got two Dalek stories in there two very good Dalek stories uh, two excellent Dalek stories yeah. let's be honest with you I, th- I always plump for evil I think you're the same as well yeah, yeah, yeah I think I'm, I'm evil a lot yeah. better um, I think you know season 5 sort of falls into that rinse repeat uh, cycle of base under siege where season 4 has got a bit more variety with it especially you know you've got two historicals again you've got the smugglers which are topics and the highlanders which are topics that really don't get covered much I don't think especially around um you know how the English sent off the Scots to the, uh, the colonies. <laughs> I don't think you sort of see that much on English television. Rebellious Scots to crush God Save the King. Now you've got the Underwater Menace, which I always thought was the clunker of the season, but I actually think in terms of a clunker, it's probably the Macro Terror now. Episode 3, it works in context a lot better with episode yeah, you can 2. See episode 2. You know, yeah. and a lot of those mannerisms that you know, Troughton does are just lost on audio and animation. You know, actually seeing what he was doing with the, the character, we all talk really good actors lifting really average material. And yes, it's average but he does lift that up. In Moonbase, so really it's 10th Planet Part 2, but with more money. Visually, it's much more impressive than the, the Moonbase was. Macro Terra, I, I, as I said before, I think it's a clunker of the season. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, you know, in days gone by, it was long lauded, but again, it's a very basic uh, story. Lots of overacting, I've found, and the music is very annoying. I, I think the animation certainly rescued it, you know, from a visual perspective, but um, no amount of crayons can uh, really hide the fact that it's really quite pants. Uh, faceless ones, as I call it, the uh, forgotten travel in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in terms of production style, they're really ramping it up on this story. It's contemporary Earth. You've got an airport setting. The villains, uh, they're not really villainous in a sense. They've lost their identity and they want to obviously get something back. So they'll just take 50,000 humans. They're more than yeah. welcome to them. They're fine. They're just chavs going off to our beef, but they can take them. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine to me. Hello, and, children of Earth. <laughs> hello, hello there. Again, and that story just dovetails beautifully into, into Evil of Daleks. And of course, you know, you've got the change of lead actor and... Thank God it worked. In terms of innovation, I think season four's got a lot to lot, mm-hmm. lot to unpack, and it's also the hardest season I think to also to engage with because it's so you've got you bits of this, yeah, <laughs> bits of that, audios. Give it a go. All right, so I have chosen. Um, it's not my favourite season, but I think as a pointer to the future, especially into the nineties, but also. Uh, the new series I've chosen season twenty six. Interesting choice because there there are a number of themes that are evident in it in that series that that, that do definitely point towards the new series. Yep. So um, <clears throat> we've got a companion in Ace who's given more of a backstory than I think any other companion previously. Mm. Yep. And there's a concentration on Ace and her personality and her and her, and her personal history that we won't see again until say Rose, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's given you know more of a backstory and she's, she's certainly got more emotional depth than a lot of previous uh, companions uh, the concentration of the series especially with survival where we go back to Perryville so we're in a modern day setting there's council flats or council areas uh, again that's a pointer towards uh, the future and I think a lot of what happened in the new adventures uh, in the 90s took 
a lot of what happened in season 26 and sort of expanded and ran with that. And there's a lot of influence even in, in the 90s and the books in the 90s that shows up uh, later in, in, in the series. Um, certainly there's the, the themes that are, that are looked at. Uh, there's, there's a subtext that goes through Curse of Fenric and survival, although fan anyway, of, of sexuality. So there's, you know, there's Millington and Judson who may or may not have been gay, but this, that's certainly the intent, I think, of the writer yeah. at that point, even though they couldn't overtly talk about it. I think in Survival, uh, with uh, Ace and Kara, again, there's that... I think uh, Rona Munro has talked about this certain lesbian subtext between the sort of relationship yeah. there. Now, whether mm-hmm. it's there or not... Well, she says it's there, so, I mean, you can only go with what the writer... Now, again, that sort of sexuality, more diversity, we see that in the new series. And, again, you know, people... Writers picked that ball up and ran with it during the 90s. And, again, something is just as overt as environmentalism in Fenric... You know the, the the creation of the hemovores is, is is as a result of you know mass uh, mass poisoning of the environment. So season twenty six, look, people will probably write off Battlefield to an extent, even though it's probably more of a traditional and fun episode uh, story. Um, the the rest of it is, uh, I know people have problems with Ghostlight, but Curse of Fenric and Survival uh, are very strong episodes, and I think the themes in in those particular stories resonate to today, and a lot of writers have picked up on that. Mm-hmm. Very good, cool. I wonder with, because um, Battlefield originally was supposed to be a three-episode story, if they'd taken the extra part and put it on Ghostlight, because I know you're a bit down on Ghostlight, would that have helped? I think more time to unpack Ghostlight would be yeah. pretty beneficial. Mm, yeah. and, and I really enjoy Battlefield. I think it's a very fun adventure, but yes, if it was tighter, that would help that one. Yeah. But I guess before we dive too much into debating these, we still have one more entry. We do. I came very close to choosing season seven because, <laughs> uh, look, objectively, I think if you look at the four stories, I think that probably is the greatest season of them all. Yeah, let me say, let me say, one of the reasons why I didn't pick season seven is whilst I love that season, I think mm. you have know, four great stories. I don't think Doctor Who can be season seven. No, all no. the time. No, no, no. So I actually went with season thirteen. Mm. So Tom Baker, Liz Sladen, Philip Hinchcliffe, Sutek. Harrison Chase, John Chalice as Scorby, and two stories directed by Douglas Canfield. This thread is now closed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> and now on to our next topic. <laughs> so can I perhaps make you some rebuttals here? Absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, look, I, look let, me, let me say, they, these are four fantastic seasons, yep. and I don't think it's going to be a particular shock to the listeners that the ones we've mentioned are the ones we've mentioned. Rob, let me say about season 26, I think the unfortunate thing is when you look at season two and I guess season four as well, there is a sense there of let's just make the show Mm. and let's just try everything. Mm. Season 26 is very good because the production team has worked out what they can afford. So they do a story in Earth's past, a story in Earth's slightly less distant past, a story in Earth's present Mm. and a story set 10 years in the future. That's good, but it's really not stretching the premise of the series. Mm. And it is it is just a case of Cartmel and Aronovich and JNT going, you know what, we can't afford to do anything other than let's just film it down in Perryvale. Mm. And, and, and that's a shame. Um, and Richard, look, season 13 is fantastic, but is it the same story six times? No, no. no. I mean, look, <laughs> I would say probably selecting season 13 means that I have to defend the android invasion. Um, <laughs> not that so. bad. Part one, part one is very good. I think part three and part four are quite well. And the eye patch. I enjoy and the end of the um, I don't think it's the weakest of that season. Ooh. Which Ooh. is? Yeah. Planet of Evil. Planet of Evil, yeah. yes. 
Again, I think the setup for Planet of Evil is quite good. Yes. Um, I do think, yes, it does suffer. The resolution is not going to Planet of um, Evil. I do, I do think it does suffer, probably. I mean, look, I, I do think last episode, week last episodes, probably is a bit of a trademark on some of the Hitchcliffe stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you do tend to get rushed revolution. Uh, you do tend to get rushed resolutions, I think, in a lot of the, mm-hmm. the Hitchcliffe era stories. But, look, it probably, in some ways, it is colour. Look, that is a, a particularly special season for me because that's when really when I came on board with the series and I had seen it prior to that but that's really the, the season that turned me into a fan the clincher yeah it was the um, hinch the clincher the oh. hinch oh. the hinch club the hinch club <laughs> uh, particularly uh, Pyramids of Mars as I've mentioned before mm. so but I, I think that is for the classic series I, I think that era and probably season 14 really is Doctor Who at its peak uh, I think in terms of public consciousness in terms of viewer figures just in terms of I mean Tom Baker I think really Doctor Who probably is the part he was born to play in some ways I think <laughs> well I think really he yeah. is very much that that catching lightning in a bottle yeah. I think that I don't think you really do anywhere else possible exception perhaps of Patrick Troughton but look I agree with all you're saying don't get me wrong great stories yeah. but tonally Where's the variety? Oh, look, I agree. There is a very definite tone to the Hinchcliffe era. And all-powerful villain from the dawn of time, you know, Sutek, the antimatter creature, the crinoid in some ways, Morbius. Like, they're kind of the same villain. I mean, they're great. But but compared to to the variety in season two, and and I'll defend you here, Mark, season four, Hmm. you know, I think Doctor Who's great picture is variety. And the one thing you can't accuse the Hinchcliffe era of is that surely? I, I agree. Look, there is a very definite tone to the Hinchcliffe era, but what a tone, man! Let's be honest, what a tone, man! That's fair. Look, in, in and, and then you go into if I, I very nearly picked fourteen as well, because then you go through the Mask of Mandragora, you've got stuff like the Deadly Assassin, um, you've got Robots of Death, and and the Talons of Wen Chiang. Now again, I uh, then then you've also got Hand of Fear, which I, I think is actually not that bad. Oh, um, I think that's a weak one. Really? It's well, I don't mind the hand of fear. Um, and and then you've also got um, you also got Face of Evil, which I think I think it's let down by the production, but I think that is a very clever story. Yeah, no, I actually think fourteen does nudge out thirteen. Mm. But thirteen for you is very is your favourite because that's when it. it oh look, I do have a special attachment to that era of the show because yeah. look, for me, it was probably always going to be Hinchcliffe season because that is where I became a fan. Yeah. So yeah. Look, in defence of mine, I mean, if we we're talking about favourite, I would have gone for season fourteen. I mm. think uh, my pick is more. This is a great influencer for what comes next yeah. in the show. Um, it's is it my favourite? No, it's not my favourite. But there are two excellent stories in it. Mm. But in terms of you know what influences the nineties and what comes out of the nineties and, and influences you know for the series from two thousand and five, I think season twenty six is the one. And I think even with days and my choices, the show then is still trying to do different things. Where I think by season five, it's like a season thirteen almost. It's like you know based on the monster, monster season the week. Yeah. And, and then season six is more like oh shit, we've got to get something on. Mm. You know, there's not that much planning around it. It's like We've got to get something on the television. Season so. six is a lot of wonderful ideas, just desperately, hastily <laughs> thrown at the screen and, yeah. just, and just hoping it works. <laughs> and hope it just doesn't. Yeah. And when yeah. you when you look at some of the scripts that were you know going to be made and then died of death, we're lucky Prison with what space. we have. <laughs> 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 we're lucky with what we have. Yeah. Because that would have been actually if something like that had gotten up, that'd have been a stain, I think, on Tratton's era. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh yeah. Does anybody have anything negative to say about season four? Because that's the one we haven't been able to bring down yet. 
well, a fair portion of it's missing, but... Uh... <laughs> or is it? <laughs> I really like it. I do think it goes to a bit of a slump. Um, the Highlanders, I'm very fond of, but I don't think it's as good as many of the Hartnell historicals. I don't think the Underwater Mess is any good at all. I get that Trouton's performance yeah. in Part 2 is good. Mm. Colin Jevons is quite creepy, but I don't think it's a very good story. The Macro Terror, I like, but you've dissed it, so I'll go with your reading. And in which <laughs> case, you got blowing in which, eyes, Dave. I, I, in I, which case, I don't think it's well realised. In which case, you kind of got like three not very goods in the middle of it. Whereas, I defy you to find three bad stories in season two. Well, look, the Space Museum. Yeah, I, I, I was hoping well, everybody, <laughs> everybody says part one because part one is very good, but we're, the rest of the three are going to talk about that later in the podcast. Okay, we'll leave it to that. Wet Planet again is very innovative, but um, again, maybe even it's a bit. The dull. first half is really it's like dull when, as, they, when yeah. they're just exploring waters. I think that's brilliant television. Mm. I, I, I agree, it does drag a bit down as towards yeah. the end, yeah. and, and the animus resolution is not. But I think they're trying. You know, they're, they're definitely trying here. And in terms of the, the, the historical topics, the Hartnell ones are very much. It's a bit Vegemite if you think about it. Like it's always the Aztecs that, and the French Revolution. That was being taught in school anyway, where the Highlanders and the smugglers probably weren't as um, talked about as much in school. So. I think there's definitely merits on both. I'm going to challenge you here, Mark. Yeah. Tell me the plot of the smugglers in 30 seconds. Pirates. In Cornwall. Anything more you can add to that? Does anybody here know the plot to the smugglers? Lots of wars. (laughs) Does anybody here know the plot to the smugglers? To be honest, they're supposed to be be a treasure buried in the town. Captain Pike wants it. Yeah. Um, And he's coming to raid the town. The squire is obviously doing a lot of... Uh, stuff Squiring? on the side well no he's not because he's got the whole thing going with this because I mean it's also yeah. like the shipwreckers and that sort of stuff yeah. as well so you are you, are, you have got that element to it as well like that, which is and it really I mean in terms of the Doctor it's really just them trying to get back to the TARDIS basically but... so it's almost like Revelation of the Daleks then where the Doctor has nothing to do <laughs> 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 it actually is a bit yes yeah. hmm. less uh, gothic yeah. anything else guys? No, I think that wraps it up. So, actually, of those four choices, let's rank them. Oh. Which are the just the best of those four? We could probably put season twenty six at the bottom. Well, as I said, season thirteen. This this thread is now closed. Okay, <laughs> All right, sorry. Go on. I'll no. go. Go on. No. I. This is what I'll rank it as: two, four, thirteen, twenty six. I'll go two, thirteen, four, twenty six. Okay. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I would go thirteen, two. Four twenty six. Mm, yeah, mine were probably the same as yours, Rob. Mm. I think. Okay, but they're all very good seasons. Yeah, good seasons. No, exactly. What to right. recommend? Yeah. So if you haven't watched them before, go and check them out. Except season four, because <laughs> <laughs> you can't really watch it. Oh, you can go watch Power. I was asked to come up with a topic for this Christmas special. Thank you to the host of Forty Two Doomsday. I thought, given that you are a podcast known for contrarian and individual views. Very polite of you, Dave. <laughs> Let's have a segment where we just bust or disagree with some pieces of fan wisdom. So, who wants to kick this off? You're all looking at me. God damn it. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, the conventional wisdom, and from conventional minds, unfortunately, is that the Sixth Doctor's coat ruins his era. I'm here to argue, as your uh, contrarian, that you're wrong. <laughs> A bunch of hidebound fans whose innate conservatism doesn't enable them to see the sheer brilliance of the codes blinds them to reality. I was going to say, I couldn't disagree more. I think it was wreck one before we get to the code. (laughs) 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 
the Ziklaz's coat isn't the worst thing in that series. And as Richard has so ably pointed out, uh, unfortunately, there are far there are things that are far far more worse in the series uh, in Colin Baker's era uh, than the coat. It's I mean, called the twin dilemma. Yeah. Well, look. The unfortunately, the you know the coat is the coat, but I think the approach that they took with making Colin Baker's doctor an asshole from the start was wrong. I think JNT had stayed a couple of years too long and should have gone with uh, Peter Davison. So his influence is all over. He's mm. all over uh, the Sixth Doctor's era. And whatever you might think about JNT personally, I think the fact that he had such an input, I think the Sixth Doctor is, is, is in, in fact a bit of a, a, an echo of him himself. The, the, mm. the sort of the colourful shirts, the mop of hair, the outlandish or out there personality makes for something that drags the series down. And unfortunately... Um, Colin Baker's doctor is is effectively stillborn, and it's nothing to do with the coat. The coat is perfectly fine when you compare it against everything else in that particular era, including the actor. Oh, the actor's okay. The actor's just okay. okay. Just okay. I'm going to agree with you, Rob. And I, I think that often the coat is kind of used as an excuse for fans that don't like the Colin Baker era but like Colin and are kind of trying to look for an excuse. I'll agree with, with you in two ways. Firstly, by the time the Sixth Doctor gets Terror of the Verbalies. He, by then, is now fun, engaging, kind of charismatic, very doctorish. He does that while wearing the same coat. Yes. So clearly the coat's not involved. Secondly, to the argument that, oh, well, because he's wearing such a colourful coat, everything else has to come up to be colourful and exciting as well, that's not a bad thing. And I think it's certainly better than Davison, who's wearing a beige coat, and so therefore everything else in his era is beige as well. I actually think the Davison coat is a far bigger offence than the Colin one. So yeah, I totally agree. Good piece of busting there. Thank you very much. And over to... The piece of fan wisdom I chose, and this might be an interesting one, um, is that there is no humour in season 18. You jest, surely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, calm now. <laughs> I would say, I think there is a lot of humour in season 18. I mean, look, I get there is angry Tom, and angry Tom is awesome, but... Brooding Tom is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, but... There is a lot. I mean, there's... You think of Megalos. I mean, okay, Megalos maybe isn't the greatest story, but everyone seems to be having a really good time actually in Megalos. There, there's humour in the Leisure Hive. Arrest the scarf. <laughs> um, I think there's some great one-liners in um, Zeta Decay. So, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. Keeper of Triker. Yes. I mean, I mean, it, it ends with this type's not really my 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but all the stuff like where um, Sauron's making fun of Tremas as well, mm. like that's, that's really quite quite good. And plus, like all that stuff, I think three times there's where Luvik just sort of, there's a pause and Luvik says, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, indeed. So um, I, I do think Legopolis perhaps is quite brooding maybe mm. in points, but there is that sort of overhanging sense of doom, I think, in Legopolis. But yeah. it, it would be very tonally awkward, I think, to have yeah. Legopolis funny. Yeah. But, no, I think there's a lot of stuff yeah. there. You're right. You're right. It's, it's, it's dist season because it's so dry, it's not fun. Well, compared to the previous season, of course it is. But the humour in this season is a lot more subtle. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. it's actually a lot more smarter. 
I yeah. think, you know, as opposed to having, you know, fart noises coming out the TARDIS console and things like yeah, that. You it's, know, so it's, it's whiskey rather than champagne. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Oh, my but, arms, my legs, my <laughs> oh, yeah, everything. You know, <laughs> exactly. That's a little bit, uh, you know, turn up to 11, isn't it, really? It, it is, really. Yeah. Right. He is totally off the leash by that point. Yeah, but, but, I mean, I just finished watching the box set and it's, uh, yeah. I concurred. Richard, it's a great season and I, I think it's a great, great discussion point. Thank you very much. Mark, thank you very much. Okay, so uh, I've sort of plumbed for that David Tennant is the best of the new Who Doctors. Ooh, controversial. Oh, jeez. So are you arguing for, are you arguing for or against? Uh, well, everybody's saying that he's the best of the new Who Doctors, and I don't agree with that. Well, I've never said that. I don't well, think anyone did last this week. Room. I don't think any of the no, anyone in this if you look at all the polls and everything like that, they usually have David Tennant behind, you know, Tom Baker. But I, 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 I take great offence to that because um, except for that one year where Sylvester McCoy was everyone's favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was rigged, that one. Uh, fake news. At the time, when he was on, I thought he was actually pretty good. Uh, but now when I look back on him and his tenure, uh, and as well as comparing him to his successors and predecessors, I actually think he's the worst of the uh, New Who bunch. Wow. Uh, worst. Let's oh. talk about his acting style to begin with. I've only seen him... I've seen him in a variety of roles over the years, you know, whether uh, on TV, mainly on TV. However, I did go and see him in a stage show in London. And uh, the two types of acting styles I've seen him do is basically the Doctor, either amped up or even amped her up when he was in Don Juan, or Moody and Brooding, which mm. is uh, Broadchurch or, or the, the, the new one he's just done called uh, Criminal. He was popular with the, with the general public and certainly still popular with the uh, Screaming Fangirls. But in terms of his uh, portrayal, it really grates on me now like a, a bunch of uh, nails being dragged down a blackboard. And in terms of his character, he's, really, he's actually quite selfish, vain, arrogant... Yeah, I would have to say he'd probably be my least favourite, I think, of the, the well... Really? Take, taking Jodie Whittaker out of the equation, no, so we, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I would think that out of the first four, he would be probably my least favourite. He'd venture into the upside down. What's going on? No, I would is, say... Is this because you didn't watch any of the Matt Smith era? No. <laughs> I actually thought... No, look, I would be honest. I thought Matt Smith himself was quite good. I didn't like a lot of what he was given to do. I actually thought he himself, though, was quite good, and I think he is a very good actor. Oh, he's a very good actor, but... After three years of him just sort of dancing waving. around the stage, waving his hands and his sonic screwdriver wearing a stupid bow tie, and you know, this is a cool go away. But I actually didn't mind his, his character at all. I guess we're talking about David Tennant. Look, I think. No, yeah, and his doctor. And his doctor. Yeah. I think we have to concede the point that in terms of cultural influence, Absolutely. he is the biggest of the new series. I, I think we that's, have, we have to concede right. that point. I'm surprised by how. Not one note he played the Doctor but just how big and unsubtle he played the Doctor hmm. the big thing that I remember first seeing Tennant in and we discussed this in our 42 to Dooms episode about Doctor actors in other roles hmm. where I actually nominated David Tennant's role in an episode of The Bill yeah. which is the first thing I remember seeing him in um, shortly after which he was in Taking Over the Asylum Mm, and in both good. those roles, yeah. he gives really subtle layered performances. Mm. In that episode of The Bill, across 50 minutes, you see layers of the onion being peeled away as this guy's, guy goes from, sorry, you're, you're mistaken, I know nothing about this kidnapping, through to, I'm a killer. Like, just, you see these layers being Yeah, for sure. He's really capable. The fact that he doesn't have those many layers in Doctor Who surprises me. I, I think, though, the Doctor Who stuff, because it was pitched very much as that lonely god 
uh, style approach. And I, I found that really grated on me. You see, that, that annoys me. I didn't mind the performance. What annoys me is the enthusiastic stuff. Like, oh, a space station. It's a space station. Oh. It's a... Oh. <laughs> oh. And, 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 and when I was watching at the time, it didn't grate on me that much. Watching him again, though, it, that stuff's really It painful. really pisses me off. Yeah. yeah, I can't... I can't... If I see it, like, a glimpse of it, it just... But, but when he hits the right notes, like, I mean, like human nature. Human nature is very good. Human in nature, he's yeah. extraordinary. Especially good. as a human. Yes. When he plays well, he's, a not play, he's not playing the doctor, though. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. maybe I've just, maybe I've just made the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Eccleston. I think it's the approach of the era, though. I mean, even Eccleston, who famously is a very brooding actor, he's a very brooding person. Yeah. <laughs> sadly, but even even in his first series and only series, you see him play it a little bit broad at times mm. and I think that's just the approach of the production team so yes Tennant does subtlety very well um, but he also follows direction equally well and if it called for a big performance he gave a big performance mm. so maybe we should be applauding his ability to prov- provide a bigger performance no <laughs> uh, no look it's a performance I think of rapidly diminishing returns fair enough that's when I watch it but I think in terms of like to prioritise uh, the new who's I'll be going Capaldi Eccleston Smith and Tennant. Where's Jodie Whittaker in that list, Mark? And over to Dave. Uh, thank you. So I've got a negative and a positive. Mm. Uh, my negative is fan wisdom is that there are two stories that, although terrible, have wonderful first parts. Uh, that is the Space Museum and Underworld. That is nonsense. They are terrible from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> the Space Museum, sorry, part one, you have random things that have never happened before and will never happen since happening because the script needs them to happen because it needs to foreshadow what's going to go on. You get lots of wandering around in a very boring set. There is nothing interesting in the Space Museum from start to finish. Um, look, other than you know the fact that the good guys are like the university gay club, uh, which is at least interesting for the 1960s, um, it's just boring, and it's boring from start to finish. Not as boring, however... As Underworld, where everyone's, oh, part one's really good, and then it goes downhill. No, part one is terrible. (laughs) Part one is so boring that you have the main guest cast all telling us how bored they are, and there's a woman who would rather die than be in this story. She's deliberately trying to let herself die because she's so bored, and she does not want to be in Underworld. You get you get all of that stuff with um, Alan oh, Lake oh, yeah. which I don't know which TV series he's in but it's not Doctor Who it's carry on film isn't it, it? It's, well I think he's <laughs> carrying on with, with some chemical help but um, oh. <laughs> you, you cut that bit you, out. Do you, you read he, the stories about what Alan Lake was up to oh I know yeah. Yeah. He, he was a very he's sad man actually yeah. and, and yeah. you know look look. I mean I don't mind saying that because A he's dead and B it's true um, and the dead can't see. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that they are both terrible stories from start to finish, and, and the defence that part one's good is just utter. I think I might have set you off a couple of weeks ago when I said, I think Underworld part one's actually okay. But if you actually think about it that way, part one's actually okay given there's other three parts of shite coming, <laughs> coming along the way. Is the reason Underworld, everyone says Underworld part one is okay is because that's clearly where all the money's been spent. <laughs> yeah, so, so you've got a very, very elaborate. Oh, the model set, work is quite good. And the model work yeah. is really good. I, I I agree with you. I don't think any of the guest cast really care, basically, even, what, what they're doing. Even but. the set, look, the set is quite good, but it's the set from Planet of Evil that was then redressed for Robots of Death and have been redressed again for this. And by this stage, it's kind of... Oh, oh and it, it did Invisible Enemy as well. Mm. It's the fourth iteration of the set, and by now <laughs> it's kind of, you know, had its best moments. Yes. So that's my negative. Uh, my positive is Fan Wisdom says that 
the Warriors from the Deep is terrible and that it should have been made with darker lighting. And I say that's all completely wrong. It even is compounded by this myth that Thatcher called this snap election that no one was expecting and, oh, we had to rush to get into production. Everybody knew that Thatcher was going to call an election there. It was four years from the last election. She was high in the polls. You read through the newspapers. Everyone expected that election to come. It's just as fans, we can't concede that when the BBC did have to shuffle stuff for an election, they made a decision. Well, they were, that Doctor Who was going to be down the list. James, James T was apparently offered. He was offered the option of dropping it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which just shows that the BBC knew there was an election coming, made a list of which shows would be saved and which ones could be, you know, mm. be taken by the wayside because of the shuffle. And Doctor Who was at the bottom of that list. As fans, we don't like that, but that's that's what happened. It wasn't. Oh my God, what a surprise! There's the election Jewess has been called mm. nonsense, fan excuse, fan wisdom wrong. But Warriors of the Deep, for its faults, and I get its faults. When I was a kid and I first watched this, this was an exciting space adventure in an exciting futuristic base, brightly lit, you know, that, that line from Hitchhiker's about gleaming metal and flashing mm. lights. That, to me, is what the future is meant to be in science fiction. And it does that. You've got interesting set-up, different power blocks. You've got a pretty good guest cast in there. Mm. And, look, yes, the Merc is terrible, and, yes, the Silurian continuity doesn't make sense, but, okay, we're fans, you know. We have the Doctor Who monster book. We know that Silurian's meant to be this way. But who cares? It's a fun adventure in what I think is a very good season for Peter Davison. So, Warriors of the Deep, fan wisdom is wrong. It's actually a pretty good sci-fi story. It should have been another way. <laughs> Someone had to do it. Because I, I thought for years, I think I mentioned it last year, that I thought in the book it had, like, the lights were all sub But it's not in the book. It actually says it's all white and gleaming. It, it's meant to been, be the yeah. first line of defence of this block. Yeah. Like, it's their big... You know, military I, I think having said that though Johnny Bird did say his intention was that it would be done with sort of the red emergency lighting and that it was a because these guys they're on edge they're paranoid this is a base this is the, this war's been dragging on for years they're under resourced they're all tired they're all everything it was this sort of forgotten base in a corner of wherever but look I don't think the gleaming white sets really are its problem uh, yes, I think you're probably to see the murder in all its glory, but <laughs> I, I think that's what people mean when they say it should be darker, yes. so that you can hide some of the production problems. Yes, um, or you know the, the sea devil that's sort of walking with its head tilted <laughs> to one side. But <laughs> but the interesting thing about that, that with what you just mentioned before, was that if J and T was offered the the it was given the option to potentially cancel that or move that story down the production line, you could have had the awakening starting the season off, Frontios Resurrection. And potentially you could have Warriors of Deep with Perry, for example, and mm. then Caves. Mm. You know what I mean? It, yeah. So Or even have a separate story. So, look, we're actually going to ditch that joint. We're going to do something potentially decent. I don't know. but um, Although yeah. then you would have missed out on Turlo in that story. And I think he's great in that story. He's, oh, yeah, yeah actually, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. the Doctor had meant to destroy your actor, it would be lying in pieces at your feet. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, now, Rob Irwin from the Doctor Who show has sent this in. His one is that Martha is not a good companion. Oh, he here. While I've seen many opinions turn over time, uh, this one really seems to stick out a bit. Being sandwiched between New Who's first companion, who even had her own 10th Doctor sex doll, created, for, created, to, li- created to live <laughs> with her in the, in the alternate you, universe, and a companion played really well by one of the UK's top comedians, Freema Adjaman was on a hiding to nothing and still hasn't turned the corner yet. I think she's a perfectly good companion and I look forward to the day her sets of episodes are is rediscovered and people are suddenly singing her praises and wondering how they overlooked her. I thought she was actually quite good. I thought she was quite good as well. I agree she's, by the masses of fandom, she's just lost. 
mm-hmm. in between Rose and Donna and mm-hmm. the Moffat ones. Like, she, yeah, she's my father lost companion, but I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, in a lot of them, she's quite well written. I, yeah. I think certainly early in the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think her relationship with the Doctor is problematic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you're right, Tennant is quite arrogant and dismissive towards her as well. He's coming off the breakup. Which, yeah, don't get yeah, started on yeah. that. Yeah, no, let's, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, actually, no. I mean, let's make the point. I never considered the Doctor to be in love with Rose because I'm a boring, sad Doctor Who fan who doesn't think the Doctor does that. Right, and it just, yeah. it just never occurred to me that this was actually a loving relationship and a potentially sexual relationship. I was just like, it's a very close relationship between a mentor and a companion, as it should be. Which meant, therefore, I didn't consider Rose leaving a breakup. And so, therefore, all the post breakup stuff. We all breathed a sigh of relief, didn't we? Well, oh, yeah. look, look, well, that's right. I mean, all of us in our, in our circle of fandom, at the end of season one, we said um, Billy Piper as Rose is like the big discovery of season mm, one, and we're really excited. I think almost all of us, if not all of us, by the end of season two, were just, my God, thank God that that annoying, arrogant woman has gone. Yeah. Mm. She was just so smug and smarmy. Yeah. It was just a real shame because she was so great in the first one. Yeah, Martha was consistent throughout the whole thing. I agree. I, I think fandom really has missed Martha out. Mm. Yeah, and look, I think those are in one episode you mentioned before. Uh, it was a Utopia, Santa Drums. Human Nature. Human Nature uh, are pretty good. And look, when she comes back, she's great in Journey's oh, End. Oh, she is too, yeah. Like that, that, that plot thread she has in um, Journey's End and Missing Planet or whatever it's called, I can't remember the title. No. For, for, uh, Stolen Earth. Stolen Earth, where she's the one where the UN's like, well, it's better to destroy the planet than live under the Daleks. Martha, mm. this is your mission. And she's got, like, that's a really strong plot thread that she carries really, really well. Mm. Uh, when she comes back, I mean, the doctor, Doctor's daughter, I think, is an underrated story and she's very good in that. There's some Taran strategy she's very... Like, she comes back and does a lot of really good work. Yeah, she's uh, good. And then she marries Mickey. Yeah. It's the Star TV tying everything up in the yeah. 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 It's this version of fan work. And now it's time for our Target Book Club segment where we discuss uh, the books of yesteryear. We uh, review them and uh, give uh, our thoughts. However, this year we've uh, done a different uh, twist on this. Uh, unfortunately, this year we lost uh, Uncle Terence, and instead of looking back at his um, prolific target output, we thought we'd switch our attention to his new adventure output. Well, we have looked at his target list before. Yes. And I must admit, I've been pushing for us to do some new adventures for a while. And so this was a, a good way, I thought, to do it. So, look, we've decided that we're going to cover the three Terence Dick's Virgin New Adventures, and as well as the first of his BBC books. And let's do them in chronological order, or at least printing order. And Mark, you're first. Thank you, yes. Uh, I was lucky to snare Exodus. Well, basically, I told you guys I'm doing Exodus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Now, um, I remember when the, the new adventure books was, were uh, being touted and they were announced, there was a bit of sniggering when Uncle Terence's name was, um, was, was flying yeah. as a writer. Yes. Because, let's be honest... It, his last book, I think, around that time was maybe Planet of Giants and Space Pirates. And, let's, and you know, Planet and Giants particularly was only like 40 pages. So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think there's a bit of concern about could he handle you know the expanded page count. I think amongst some of the next generation writers, there was actually it was quite fashionable there really to sort of bash Terence. Yeah, for a while that you yeah, know his prose was simplistic. Yeah, he wrote, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that was a thing, and it's unfortunate because by that stage. He was back to doing, you know, not doing 12 a year, doing 4 or 5 a year. Mm-hmm. And I, look, I thought The Will in Space and Ambassadors that of Death, yeah. you know, he was doing some good books by the end. Even yeah. Space Pirates took, you know, what I think a lot of fans don't like, I'm a defender of, but, you know, he took that and made a, a workable story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was unfair by that stage, but yeah, there was a lot of sniggering. I remember I, I did buy this book and I sort of left it on the shelf and I read the first one. Oh, okay. Bit of trepidation to read the second one. I remember reading it in bed because I was uh, actually had a sickie that day at work. And uh, I actually spent all day in bed reading the damn thing. And it was very good then and it resonated yeah. a lot back then. And it was actually a joy to reread again because um, I think that most of us all know the story where it's dealing with an alternate timeline where the Nazis had uh, won the war and had occupied the UK and had put um, King Edward on the back on the throne and Queen Wallace was there and then executed you know, Churchill as a, as a war criminal. So really it's... Yeah, Oswald Mosley as Prime Minister. Yes, yeah. exactly right. And it mentioned Operation Sea Lion in there as yep. well. So clearly Uncle Terry is a bit of, uh, a, bit of a fanatic around it. Well, at least was... Um, well, he lived through he it. He lived through it. And, you know, obviously still uh, found it quite fascinating how that mm. alternate... So basically he predicted the man in the high castle. You know, a couple of years, <laughs> about 30 years uh, early on. But look, this book to me is Terence Dick's Unleashed. You know, the, the extra page count. Uh, he puts lots of plot threads in there. It's weaving in and out of the story. He actually captures the Doctor's and Ace relationship really, really well. Yeah. Given yeah. he's only watched the Curse of Fenwick video, I think, uh, as to get some background on it. But I think he wrote the Doctor as the Doctor and was able yeah. to get yeah. through that. So that was really well done. And the, the, the Doctor's interactions with the upper echelons of the, of the Reich uh, were particularly interesting and especially with his uh, you know his dealings with Adolf Hitler and in terms of you know the doctor's always been that strategic chess player and he even in this in some certain uh, circumstances he thinks oh my god I might have gone too far and will yeah. the timelines ever get back on track you know the, the, the time word arc through this is pretty unobtrusive like I remember I hadn't read the books for 30 years so I could vaguely remember bits and pieces about it, but you could read it independently, not really yeah. worry about it too yeah. much. He he brought back the uh, the war the, the warlords, you know, and the war chief was there, well, his son, and of course, um, uh, you know, the warlords were there. He sort of kept the mystique and who who are these people towards the end, and then you know, obviously the revelation of of, of that, and um, yeah, I thought it was really bog- it was it was a surprise, but it wasn't too bogged down in a lot of the continuity that um, came down the line later on. It sets up the next uh, couple books perfectly, you know, the, the character of Lieutenant Hemmings. The only criticism I'll probably have of this book is I felt the ending was slightly rushed. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to go back and reread certain passages just to make sure it sort of, um, you know, sort of sunk into the aging brain. But on the whole, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed rereading it again. And uh, if Big Finish are looking for any ideas, what I'd be proposing is actually getting this Time Worm book series and doing a 30th anniversary box set. And go. adapting them to audio. Yeah, You're to, welcome. They'll have to do Apocalypse, though, which is terrible. Uh, look, I agree with everything you've said there, Mark. I have reread Exodus a couple of times over the years, mm. but I can remember reading it for the first time and that twist of who the villains were actually being a really big surprise mm. and very effective. Yeah. The other thing I can really remember from when I first read it, I would have been 11 or 12 at the time, mm. is the way that Dix makes those members of the Nazi hierarchy actual characters. Borman and Himmler and Goering. Yeah. He never loses the sense that these are thoroughly foul and evil people. Mm. Hitler as well. Mm. But 
Goering is a character, Himmler is a character. Yeah. They're, they're nuts in very different ways. Bormann is a character, you know, nuts in a very different way. And that's really quite effective. But yeah, I, I think this is probably his best movie adventure. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm. And it, it, is, it is a remarkably good read. And it is deeper than a Doctor Who story without being wanky or complicated. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, bravo, Terence. It was uh, fantastic rereading it again. So next is Rob. Thank you. Uh, now, my book that I'm doing is Blood Harvest. Yeah. Ah. Terry. Now, Blood Harvest is set uh, in two different locations. It's Prohibition-era Chicago and the name, unnamed planet uh, of the vampires from states, uh, State of Decay. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know Uncle Terence's strengths. He tells solid, straight-ahead stories on television and his novelizations, particularly the earlier ones, are very good. Unfortunately, Blood Harvest is not a very good book. Oh. Blood Harvest is a bit of a it's it's a bit of a one note runaround. With with the new adventures, you know, it's you know, the deeper, more 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 penetrating examinations of character and plot and all that sort of thing. Story's too broad for the small screen, I think. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Uncle Terry doesn't follow that remit. Yes. I mean you, you, you get you get Ace who you know, Ball Cornell has done fantastic work with her in Love and War, given her a real character. In this she's just very one note, she's effectively a gangster's mole. Um who is adept with a gun um, the doctor barely has a character he's just a figure who appears and says things and goes away it really is a disappointing read it, mm. it actually feels like a sort of a mid-era Terence Dix TV novelisation okay. he said she said they did they, that I mean there are set pieces there where there's you know uh, Al Capone's uh, you know, favourite restaurant is shot up uh, by machine gun fire um, and it's very blandly done. There's no sense of menace or, or danger or even excitement about what happens. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, Terence misses out in that regard there. And in terms of making Al Capone, who was a vicious killer who ended up dying of the complications from syphilis into a sort of a cuddly rogue, he misses the mark a great deal, unfortunately. So Blood Harvest, look, I mean, even the Gallifrey scenes are one note and generic. And the, the continuity is really, really screwed because, I mean... They go back to the you know to the the planet where the states of decay occurred, and suddenly there are other towers with other lords, and some of whom are vampires. Mm. Whereas it, it's readily apparent in states the state of decay, that's not the case. It's they're just there's one set of three vampires. Yeah, it's it's a disappointing read, unfortunately. But you can't have all winners. I read this fairly recently, mm. and I would agree it's the weakest of his three new adventures. But I didn't think it was as bad as you did. Did you at least enjoy some of the world building? And certainly, I thought it was quite good. And I remember when it came out, the way that they put the Doctor into a quite what I thought, and what I think a lot of readers at the time thought was a quite well constructed and well realised uh, you know, um, bootleg in Chicago. Did that work for you at all? Not, not particularly, because okay. it appears to have so little to do. I mean, the other characters seem seem to have more presence. I mean, Capone seems to have more presence. Decker has more presence. I mean, Decker's voice, which is, you know, a Raymond Chandler-esque sort of detective, mm. uh, has more presence than, than the Doctor, unfortunately, where in this particular era of the, the range, you know, the Doctor is, is a real commanding performance or a real commanding mm. character. And even Ace, I mean, as I said before, Love and War is, you know, um, some time ago, but there, there are echoes of that, but he's only picked, she's a soldier, she's good with a gun, mm. she's, she's adept with violence... There's nothing else there. There's, there's no sense of, you know, the repercussions of, of, of leading a soldier's life or, 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 or anything else. So 
unfortunately, from that perspective, it just Blood Harvest didn't really work for me. Oh, it's a shame. I, I yeah. thought it was quite fun. I, the weakest of his three, but, but fun. Okay. Fair did that book uh, tie into Goth Opera? Was that yes, right? it did. It, it, did. Okay, lead, yeah. it leads into Goth leads Opera. Yes, in. it does. Okay, right. Over to Dave. So, thank you. So, I was allocated Shakedown. Shakedown. So, a couple of things I've got to, I guess, mention. We talked about there being sort of fan sneakers mm. when it was announced Terrence was part of that first lineup. Exodus completely you know, blew that out of the water. Yeah. I think that, you know, notwithstanding, Rob, your comments about Blood Harvest, that was very well regarded, I think, at the time, yeah. particularly the pairing of it with Goth Opera. Mm. Shakedown, however, got some sneakers because originally Shakedown was a 50-minute direct-to-video <laughs> yes. production, which, <laughs> look, I can remember us watching in 94, yep. and it's very straightforward and very simple, but I think it's probably the best of those uh, direct-to-video um, productions, productions yeah. made, made in the wilderness years. It's a very fun story. Mm. But the idea that you could turn a 50-minute, very simple video adventure into a novel of the standard of the new adventures was kind of laughed at. What Dix actually does is write a book in which the middle part, it's probably about that middle quarter, it's only about 60 pages, is the actual novelisation of the movie or the, or, the, or the video. And then there's another 200 pages around it of bigger, bigger and broader story. Uh, that does make for a very big and wonderful adventure. The one disadvantage is that there is 60 pages in the middle where the Doctor just is conveniently captured by the Sontarans and, oh no, what are we going to do now? And then just have this whole adventure that doesn't involve him at all and then the plots link up again. The other thing that's really obvious about this is whenever you see Terence interviewed about his time as script editor, he talks about how his sort of primary role as a script editor was to read a draft and where the writer writes... An army of hundreds comes over the hill, and he crosses it out. Three guards come over the hill. <laughs> the, the TARDIS lands in a lush, fertile vegetation surrounded with teeming creatures. Cross out. The TARDIS lands in a quarry. <laughs> you know, that was his role. And what I get the sense with Shakedown, more than the other two books, is this is him just going, right, I don't have to do any of that. And he just goes to town yeah. in creating multiple worlds here. So... It starts off on one planet where the Doctor first meets Kurt, Brian Crouch's character from the film. Yep. And that's on a colony planet where the Sontarans invade and that sort of gets the action going. Mm. Then you've got another world where uh, new companions, Rose and Chris, are chasing down a route and spy in Mega City on a, you know, where, 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 where Dix creates this massive sort of... Uh, it's like a fly-in, fly-out mining colony that's on a planetary scale. Huge city. Uh, the police are Ogrons, led by a police chief that's an augmented Ogron, which is one of the best characters in the book. But, but you know, this huge sort of Star Wars-ish space city that, that he goes in. At the same time, Bernie Summerfield is off on a university planet, which again, you know, has these vast university spires in this desert world and with insect creatures that run it and all that sort of thing. The Doctor, as I said, starts on a colony planet. Then you've got the work on the space stations. You've got the stuff on the Tiger Moth spaceship. All the stuff with the Sontarans and the War Wheels. Like, this is epic, epic stuff. And I think that Shakedown is a very good book just for that imagination. Mm. In terms of plot, I think it's weaker than Exodus simply because uh, part one, away from the Tiger Moth, part two, which is solely on the Tiger Moth, and then part three, um, stitching the whole thing up. And, and I should mention as well, this was a sequel to the Missing Adventure of Lords of the Storm. So it actually has to sort of sum up two books worth of plot. It all works, but sometimes it doesn't quite stitch together quite as well as it could, which is unfortunate. But what is great is, again, just Terence's 
world building imagination but his use of characters he makes the Sontarans interesting and different characters that you know he talks about you know they're having their power burn and or, or you know that how much they enjoy you know sticking something in their private vent and getting re-energized and he makes them characters he makes the Rutans characters he makes the Ogrons characters um, all the different people on the university planet um, there's a role in the rat character who drives a taxi that they they meet there's just all this wonderful stuff that with a few simple lines he creates and I think just for sheer science fiction world building uh, not set on Earth like Exodus not set on Earth like Blood Harvest just a corker of a book mm. um, yeah I think Exodus is best but Shakedown's a really fun adventure and if you got the original printing as I have here it comes with a several pages of black and white photos yes. from the video so ah. Uh, look, uh, yeah, very fun, but also kind of wonderful nostalgia because I remember being very, very fond of Shakedown when I was about 14. Right, over to Richard. Okay, well, I drew maybe what is the short straw, <laughs> but, uh, which was the Eight Doctors. So we're out of Virgin Territory now. This is the first of the BBC yeah. range when they took the rights back after the telly movie. And I guess we should make the point, it's interesting that when the BBC did come to start their own imprint and kind of really brush away the Virgin New Adventures yes, in many they ways did. that they picked Terran Sticks to be the launch. Yes, that, that is interesting. I have to say, and, and I'm sorry for Terrence's memory, this is not a particularly good book. I, I didn't really get a lot out of this. The, the basic setup for the book is that immediately after the telly movie, the Doctor, the Eighth Doctor, finds himself back in the TARDIS and he looks at the Eye of Harmony and there is a trap set there by the Master that wipes his memory. And the rest of the book then is him catching up with his other selves to get his memory back. Now, running counter to that, there is a sort of a, a sort of plot going on on Gallifrey involving the Celestial Intervention Agency and, and President Flavia. <laughs> but the, the biggest problem with it is because he has to visit each of the other seven Doctors. It is really just a collection of short stories in a way. Mm. Um, so it's very continuity heavy. Yes. Um, because each time he meets one of the Doctors, it is either during or in the immediate aftermath of a televised story. So, for example, he meets the first Doctor during an unearthly child, and it's right at the bit where they've encountered the animal Zars injured, and the, the Doctor's picking up the rock with what may or may not be malevolent intent. <laughs> The companions in each case, or the other characters around the Doctor, when he catches up with his former selves, there is a temple bubble that forms so he can interact with the other Doctors so Ian and Barbara and Susan don't see the fact that, that Paul McGann is standing there talking to William Hartnell <laughs> for a few minutes. Um, Unlike Clara. Yes, indeed. Um, let, let's not go there. No, it's not. So, so to spell it out, he encounters the first Doctor, as I said, during an unearthly child. He encounters the second Doctor really right at the during what would be episode 9 of the war game so yeah. he's just about to send the cube off to, to summon the time lords um, and they have a discussion about whether that's the right thing to do or not right. um, he encounters Pertwee in the aftermath of the sea devils mm. um, oh, and that okay. involves the master the master escaping and he makes his way back to devil then where his TARDIS is and, and escapes um, that has the rather unusual scene of the third doctor with the master's tissue compression eliminator saying that, well, what would happen if he was just to kill the Oath Doctor and take his TARDIS? Yeah, that, that was a bit unusual. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> Fourth Doctor is in the aftermath of State of Decay, hmm. 
Um, and it does tie into Blood Harvest in that there suddenly, yes, there are all these other villages and other vampires uh, on the unnamed planet. The Doctor gets drained of blood by a group of them and um, Paul McGann has to give him a transfusion. Yeah, it was interesting. When I reread Blood Harvest not that long ago, there were scenes that I thought I remembered that mm. weren't in it and I suspect they actually were in the Eight Doctors. Yeah. The Fifth Doctor, he meets the Fifth Doctor immediately after the Five Doctors. Um, so they've gone back to uh, the Eye of Orion to have a proper rest. And this is where the uh, other plot with the Gallifrey plot leaks in because the guy who hates the Doctor on Gallifrey who's suddenly got control of the time scoop decides to send all these villains to, to kill the Doctor. Okay. Yeah, which involves firstly a Raston warrior robot, a group of Sontarans and then a Drashig. <laughs> Yeah, the Sixth Doctor... I that, that stuff, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the Sixth Doctor bit, that's the really heavy, convoluted bit. I must admit, I really struggled reading through that. That's right at the end of Trial of the Time Lord. Um, and it's this whole alternate universe yeah. type setup. There's two Sixth Doctors running it. It's, it's really convoluted. The only meets the Seventh Doctor for about five minutes, basically. Yes. Um, he's in a cave on Metabilis 3. Yeah. And then suddenly he gets all these memories back. Um, running counter to that at the very start of the book... Because he has no memories, he lands on Earth in Totter's Lane, meets what obviously is going to be his new companion, Sam. And there's this whole story about she's being chased by a drug gang and stuff, and then he comes back to save her at the end. I've probably really spent more time on the plot than I should have done, because it really isn't very much plot at all. It's a very thin book. It really is just a series, as I said, of short stories. In terms of writing, much like Blood Harvest, it is like one of his later Target novels. It's, It's very simplistically written. Look, I guess giving Terence Dix the first book to write puts it into a safe pair of hands. It's a jumping on point if you've got people who've never read any of the books before. I do think it's been used either by Terence or by whoever was commissioning the range advising to do that to try and clear up a heap of continuity stuff. Um, yeah, I, I probably couldn't really recommend that one, to be honest. I can remember when it came out. And I enjoyed it more than fandom generally, but I did see that it was a very weak and straightforward look, book. Look, it was an interesting book to read. I mean, look, Terence is not a bad writer. It's yeah. not a badly written book. It's just a very light book. One of the reasons why I think it really struggled in fan wisdom at the time was that it came at the end of the Virgin New Adventures. Which yes. For those people who stuck with that range, that really built into quite a very well-regarded, very well-loved... Mm series that really but, but did probably expand quite insular range I oh, think, oh no, no very very insular yeah. no I, I agree I, I remember I remember making comments and actually getting to a bit of a a, a letter war with our, my friends in fandom in Sydney because <laughs> I made some comments about just how insular that yeah. range was becoming I agree but for those who'd stuck with it it was very well loved by those people very well regarded and it had really taken the show over about seven years yeah. in, into a very particular and different place that was actually broader and deeper than the show yeah. could be in it. And it did create these characters and all the rest of it. And then the Yate Doctors kind of comes along and it says, you know what, forget all of that. We're just going back to telling simple, simple stories. Yeah. Almost like this is picked up at the end of Survival. Mm. And, and frankly, the, the Yate Doctors could be picked up. Well, I mean, if you just went Survival telling movie Yate Doctors, yeah. you wouldn't know that the no, right. books had happened. And tonally, particularly, it just sort of wiped all that development away. So those people who'd really got used to what the new adventures were doing were like, well, have we just wasted seven years? Like, you know, yeah. we, 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 we've done all this build and we've made Doctor Who this new big thing. And you're kind of just going back to, you know, a page one rewrite or a, a hard reboot. Yeah. 
Having said that, I mean, the BBC books did go down some quite unusual paths as well. For sure. Um, when you, particularly when you get to something like Interference. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, um, when you start introducing stuff like the Faction Paradox and yeah. whatever. But it, it is a very simplistic way, really, to start the range. Mm. But, as I said, look, it was entertaining enough to read, but it's, it's certainly not a very big book. I think the most fun thing about it is kind of just the idea that when Terence got to pick which stories he dropped the Doctor into and mm. what continuity problems he wanted to fix, I just love that these are the ones that he went to. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you know, clearly it's been bugging him what happened to the Master after the CWS yes. for 20 years. Like, yep. right, I'm going to write that story. Yeah, um, so I do, I do like that aspect yeah. of it. Mm. Yeah. I remember it was in the UK when that book came out and uh, grabbed it. And I sort of, again, I read it pretty much in one sitting. Yeah. And I just remember enjoying it. Yeah, you know, but you're right. It is yeah. now. You know, it's very simplistic and it's continuity heavy. So to try and get a new readership in, you're sort of going, okay, I need to understand all this old Doctor Who stuff as opposed yeah. to just doing a clean story. It's very continuity yeah. heavy. You know, it's basically it's the it's the book version of the TV movie. All the continuity at the beginning, as opposed to starting a. And it story. even sets up the intro to the telly movie because there's the whole bit where the master uh, yes, goes to right. the planet to get the worm thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he's setting a trap for the Doctor because he knows that the Doctor couldn't resist a sob story or something so yeah. Um, yeah. To, to lure him into a trap so that he could steal the Doctor's body. The really ironic thing is that at the same time as they had the Eighth Doctors launching their... The Eighth Doctor Adventures, yep. they had the launch of their past Doctor Adventures with the Devil Goblins from Neptune by Keith Topping and Martin Day who were very much steeped in that whole sort of new style of writing. Mm. And they, that, that, so that was a John Pertwee story. Mm. And... That's actually a lot more like the Virgin books, and was a, it's a really good book actually. So it's interesting that they got Dix to do the Eighth Doctor, and they got those two to do the Third Doctor. Yeah. And I sort of wonder if history would have been different if they said to him, "Can you launch this with a new Third mm. Doctor story?" Mm. Maybe. So that's it for our Target Book Club for this year. It's the one you've all been waiting for. Fanwank the year awards let's kick this off with uh dave so in the last couple of years when we've done this i've (laughs) deliberately tried to avoid big finish because it's just too easy unfortunately they're the only one who made any doctor who this year and so i'm going for a very simple one and that is the fact that the big finish are about to release a story called the master's dalek plan (laughs) <laughs> very clearly done only so they could use that title that is that is my nominee I don't have to say anything more that is my nominee for fan like actually writing the story for Master's Dalek Plan has it got Master Chen? Uh, it's got the Derek Jacobi Master in it which is like the Master before Utopia before he becomes yeah. Professor Yana, oh, yeah, I don't know. There's a whole that, that might be that might be worth listening to. That's Derek Jacobi. Look, it's Derek Jacobi. I'm not saying the story's bad. I'm just saying that when it comes to like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I do know what you know what I'm saying. All right, Richard. Um, I actually chose a real world example this year. I resisted the urge to go after Big Finish because yeah. <laughs> it's easy. Because <laughs> it's easy, and we have done that the last couple of years. Yeah, so I actually went for a real world example this year. I know. Look, I did resist the urge to go after Big Finish because it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we have sort of bashed Big Finish a fair bit with due, you know, with due cause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did go for a real world example, um, and I actually chose the decision by. Sheffield Hallam University to award honorary doctorates to the entire cast and crew of season 11. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, what? Crimes Against Humanity? Or? No, well, as I said, look, I get it's a PR move, I get all of that, but 
everybody involved? Yes. Really? Surely you would Anchoring? pick the showrunner and maybe the lead actor? Director? Yeah, but... Head of drama? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but maybe not the gaffer. No. Um, you know, I, I just think that's a bit the third, too far. The third lighting engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think that's maybe a step too far. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fair. What did they win? An honorary doctor. Yeah, but what did they get? It's a piece of paper with a. That's oh, a bit of paper with a scroll. Uh, I, saw the wearing, I saw the wearing cloaks, but I thought. Yeah, they well, the... they get the, the photo op in the in the robe and the, the hat. And they, they, get the... they can call themselves doctor. They, they it's, hand them out. It's, con- it's conventional not to, but you can do it. Mm. I mean, there's an ex Governor General of Australia who used to use the word doctor on the basis of honorary doctorate, so. They use that thing, of, like, they're giving out those awards, like, you know, the doctor is like confetti at a wedding these days, aren't they? Mm. Anybody can have them. Mm. Billy Connolly's got one. Yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Rick Mayo? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Rick Mayo, yeah. bloody deserves it. Rick Mayo, yeah, Rick Mayo got an honorary doctorate for He him. deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, a pretty good speech, actually, too. It's on YouTube. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Much missed, isn't he, Rick yeah. Mayo? I was thinking about the other day. Hello, Rick Mayo. Mark, yep. what's your contribution to well, Fairlake this year? Is it Big Finish? It's going to surprise you, Richard, and say, it is Big Finish. <laughs> <laughs> now... I was going to do that Sill one, but I haven't seen it yet. So I think, oh. we're all, I think we're all waiting to watch that at some point. We might have more to say on that next year. I'm still keeping the offer open. Any of you guys want to come over over the summer and record a commentary for that? I'm, I'm down to host that. All right. All right, we'll do it. All right, we will uh, we'll do that. Do that. Yeah. I'll get back to New Zealand. Right, I'm I'll, down, we'll I'm say that. that. All right, we'll do, we'll do that. We'll sort out what feed is going to go on. That's a very good idea. But look, I've got some notable mentions for I get some entrees for I get to the real uh, main course. So um, are they all big finish? It's going to surprise you, and I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one I'm uh, putting under the best fan rank spin award. Uh, this is what uh, I saw uh, at one of their press releases. It goes: David Bradley, Gerard Powell, Jamie Glover, and Claudia Grant return as the original yet slightly different TARDIS team in the fourth volume of the audio drama series The First Doctor Adventures. Now, how can it be original yet slightly different? They've just cancelled each other out by saying it, haven't they, really? I mean, yeah. yeah. The other one I saw was, that now they've come out with the Masters Dalek plan, is that right? Yes. Well, they've just announced they're making a five-year anniversary special called The Daughter of the Gods, where producer David Richardson credits Jason Hay Gallery with the initial idea of a multi-doctor story featuring the first and second doctors uh, to celebrate 20 years of Big Finish, uh, Richardson envisaged the story as a sort of five-year anniversary special which could plausibly have been made in 1968, albeit with slightly heavier emphasis on continuity. Now, given their track record, the words credit is really stretching it a bit, isn't it? Really? I thought the words were inevitable <laughs> or uh, not surprising, really. It's probably that. So, yeah, look forward to the business that day. Uh, the first and second Doctors paired well, up. Well, how are they doing it, though? Are they getting the companions to do the Doctors again, or are they... I don't know, but the recast Katarina, I think... What's well, Peter Fervis probably will, you know, probably do the first Doctor as well. You've got Fraser yep. Hines and Wendy Fabry doing that, so, yeah. Okay. Well, given that the actual story that was transmitted across the fifth anniversary was the invasion, I'm quite happy to just have the invasion, really. I'm happy with the invasion, too, actually. And, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I find it bizarre. But anyway, uh, the other one was the... Uh, this is one for you, Richard. The Diary of River Song Series 5. So not only has River Song been defiling her way through the Doctor's time stream, she's now turned her attention to the Master. <laughs> All four of them, including your mate Eric Roberts. But they could have made it five if they got Gordon Tipple in from the telly movie. <laughs> but uh, 
don't worry, Gordo. Your time will come when one of them pops off. Oh. Now, the Demore. <laughs> As I say, all these pale and insignificance. Besides, I need a drum roll. I need a drum roll here. I'm getting all hot and flustered. Okay, so ready. And the winner of the I've scraped the bottom of the barrel so much that I've splinters on my old fellow award for 2019 is the Third Doctor Adventures Volume Five Primord. I'll read you some of the synopsis first. Okay. <laughs> So prisoners are escaping from incarceration all around the country and units have been called in to aid in the search. But the Doctor is unwilling to agree to the, the Brigadier's request for help. He and Joe have opted out to take a holiday. So they're going to visit his old assistant Liz Shaw, now working in Cambridge University. So basically this is the audio analogy of if you replace a broom handle and you get the broom and you keep replacing the handle and the broom, is it still the same broom, right? Because you have the Doctor recast you have also the Brigadier recast, and now you have Please. Caroline John's daughter playing Liz Shaw because, right. yeah, to legitimise it, it's what she would have wanted. Right. This is basically the equivalent of getting the Beatles back together on stage, except all their sons turn out. I guess that opens up a new avenue for Sadie Slayton, but and I don't think she would do it either. I think they'll be a bridge too far if they actually cast Liz Slayton. What do you think? I think if that's the sort of story you want to. Uh hear or read, go check out the BBC book Face of the Enemy, which, look, Ooh, it yeah. is steeped in fan wank. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool fan wank. It's a very good book. Yes, yeah. it is. That's the one with the Masters in the Alternate Universe, is that right? That's right. Yeah, yes. that's a really good one. Yeah. That was my number number one pick for the year. I mean, look, I could have said The Lives of Captain Jack with this, you know, being coming the sixth Doctor, but that was in April. I think that was way too obvious back then. Now, we did ask uh, some of our listeners, all three of them, to um, send through their fan wank of the year awards. Okay, so the first one is from Rob Irwin, host of the Doctor Who show. It's a pretty good podcast, that one. That is a great podcast. <laughs> I hear they've got a good style was episode 9 review uh, <laughs> I love their Joker review that's right <laughs> gentlemen it's got to be Eric Saywood's coda to Resurrection of the Daleks featuring what Tegan did next I don't know what the statute of limitation on spoilers is so I'll just say it's batshit <laughs> and not in a good way thankfully it never happened on television so I can just pretend that that part of the book and actually the whole book itself doesn't exist and I can now get on with my life <laughs> It's a very good nomination. Now, I must admit, I started reading, reading Resurrection and stopped. Uh, Dave, you finished it off, is that right? Yes. Now, is the coda as bad or better than the coda that was in the Mind Warp novelisation? Or equally fan wankery? I think the Mind Warp one would have to probably win because that's Perry Nikanos finding their way back to Earth. And you can't also becoming like a WWF <laughs> champion. Which is kind of cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, look, Yukanos would make a pretty good WWF villain, but... And for that reason, I think that just is a little bit better than what's in Resurrection. It needs to be read. Okay. Dave is recommending that we read it. I look forward to that, Dave. Very much. Our next one comes via Twitter and is from Jed Sweeney. Anything Big Finish does with Riversong and the Doctors Before Ten... And an obligatory mention for Big Finish and anything with the TARDIS team from An Adventure in Space and Time. Also, if Series 12 introduces a regeneration cycle of Doctors pre Hartnell, I may start throwing my excrement at the TV. <laughs> That's right, there was that rumour, wasn't there? Yes, there was. was well, look, it, it validates uh, Brain of Morbius. And also the, the idea of a first female Doctor, I, you know. Uh, yes. You know? That, that surely couldn't be no. Surely. Surely, Dave. 
I think it's been pretty pretty well re- rebutted, but let's face it, traditionalist Doctor Who fans would go nuts because it's destroying existing the Reichstag. <laughs> but 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 fans of Jodie Whittaker would also go nuts because suddenly it could completely invalidate mm. her status as being yeah. the first. Like it will just cut her legs out from under her. So no one would like it. No, I mean that let's face it, that's been well and truly rebutted, but <clears throat> it was a good example of how a really stupid rumour could just yeah. go through Twitter, you know, like that before it even gets questioned. Exactly. Uh, Dylan Green uh, said, that time Big Finish brought back the Drashigs on audio. I just want to know how, like, how. It'll just be like, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> Look, there's a Drashig. That's it. And I don't know how that would work myself. Um, you know, we'll have to look forward to listening to one of them. Uh, Dave, we've got one more there. Uh, so this has come in from David Agnew. Hello, David. <laughs> what? Doctor Who, the target storybook, dropping a Gareth Roberts story because of transgender-related comments he made online a couple of years prior. A relatively small section of Doctor Who fandom agitated for his removal, and the other book contributors threatened to withdraw if he was involved. While I don't agree with some of the comments he made, primarily those about how Gareth believes you can't be born in the wrong body, it's also perfectly true that they're not illegal thoughts to have either. He's absolutely allowed to think that. In fact, his main comment wasn't even controversial and just made me laugh out loud. It wouldn't be out of place in a bitchy gay comedy routine. While this small section of fans and authors ran around like the world was about to end over two-year-old comments, what bothered me most is that this was cancel culture arriving in Doctor Who. Cancel culture is where if someone's not in lockstep with what you think, they should be hurt ASAP, usually through a loss of employment and ideally their public image destroyed too. It's a scary kind of thing that the end game seems to be wanting the world to be an echo chamber of only certain beliefs. Again, we're not talking illegal stuff, just beliefs that don't jive with the cancellers' beliefs. And it really surprised me that authors, artists if you will, should be so small and close-minded. If I ever appeared in an anthology with someone who said stuff I disagreed with, I would think, hey, I disagree with that person. What a turkey for having those views. But I'd no sooner fly to the moon than ask for their removal from the book. Cancel culture obviously isn't in my DNA, probably because I come from a sensible generation that's able to successfully interact with a wider set of world experiences than just the ones I agree with, without trying to destroy anyone different to me. Anyway, that's about the most egregious thing I saw in Doctor Who this year. Any response to that, boys? Uh, I fundamentally disagreed with what Gareth Roberts said, Mm. but I fundamentally agree with his right to say it. Mm -hmm. Um... I think cancel culture is a very, very dangerous thing. We probably don't have the full hour. You need to really debate the merits of being nice and, and how they weigh up against the need to have a freedom of speech and freedom of expression. But I will say that cancel culture is potentially very dangerous. When that John Pertwee uh, corporate video was uh, oh, yes. released a few weeks ago, or a few yes. months ago, I should say, that was interesting because it was made a long time ago. A very long and time ago. It, it was made a very long time ago, and um, it, they all, all of a sudden they started wanting to cancel John Pertwee. <laughs> well, he's been dead for 25 years, so he's already been cancelled already, but just that whole, we've got to cancel a third doctor, yeah. because the actor has said something which is separate to the character. Yeah, I think it's gone a bit bonkers myself yeah look there have been examples across Doctor Who fandom of that sort of thing as, as I said if we had an hour we could really explore that properly yeah look balancing a sense of wanting everybody to be nice to each other which I mm. think is important yeah. a- a- against a genuine freedom of speech and expression yeah is difficult yes and whilst I understand the anger against Gareth Roberts and probably shared some of it myself mm. uh, is an outcome that leads to a loss of employment a 
good outcome, I think that's a very debatable mm. point. What's uh, social justice Doctor Who fans' favourite suburb? Woking. <laughs> <laughs> What's social justice warrior Doctor Who fans' favourite Doctor Who location? Wokey hole. Boom, 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 Show us what you've got mail. Before we go, we'll read out some correspondence we received uh, over the last couple of weeks. All right, well, our first letter is from Ben Schneider, who says, Hi, guys. Ben from the USA here. Just wanted to drop a quick note and say how much I really enjoyed the discussion you had regarding merchandise sales on the latest podcast. Thanks, Ben. I enjoyed that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Were you on that (laughs) way? It's strange how Toy Talk holds my interest for an hour. Well, it's a very interesting subject, personally, but I was especially surprised to hear the actual reason they went to the three-inch action figure scale back in 2013. Hmm. I never heard the legitimate, real reason, but I do remember at the time all the BBC talking heads online saying that toy collectors around the world had been begging and pleading for a three-inch line. I sort of collected toys back then, and my first thought was, what a load of BS. No one says that online. Who would have guessed my first taste of fake news came from a BBC marketing spokesman? Ah, 2013. Anyway, keep up the great work. I love the honest opinion you guys have on the podcast. Just great. Thanks, Ben, for that letter. Uh, look, that episode uh, was received, positively and negatively, we should say. Um, <laughs> you put some opinions out there, and particularly put some facts out there, and some statistics. And it's up to individuals to draw their own conclusions. Yeah. If somebody draws a different conclusion than the one you drew, that, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, look, I thought, uh, and it was one of the reasons we had Aaron on there, was because he could give some actual hard evidence from running a shop where he sells that sort of stuff. Correct. Watching some of the tweets come in, and, and yeah, I think one of them sort of uh, was a bit, I felt was a bit disingenuous, was around, oh, you know, for old school collectors. Now, Aaron runs a shop. And has done for years. He is a very profitable shop. He is yep. in that shop every day. He is seeing what stock's going in and out, mm. and obviously has the connections within you know, the toy industry locally as well and also overseas. Yeah, I mean, he's been selling merchandise for, what, 30 years? years. And, yeah. you know, and he's, this is what he's been, he's been finding and we just yeah. thought, well, I know he's been posting it in, you know, into different forums here and then we thought we'd just get him on, on the podcast with yourself yeah. and just talk about the current state of the merchandising because, I mean, well, a lot of people have been saying it's been, you know, not selling or not in the shops or anything yeah. like that. So we just thought we'd try and get a possible reason for why that's happening yeah it was very positive to move away from what let's face it a lot of us in podcasting do which is we think we think we've heard we've heard and actually have someone say I can demonstrate yeah Mm. yeah so look we weren't trying to go out there and you know bury the series or anything like that you know as people think that we do we're just trying to find a topic which A would interest people but also there is a bit of a decline in terms of the merchandising I think now I think they've just announced there is a a 13th Doctor playset coming out I think I'm not too sure right I think I don't know I saw I saw some picture unless it's been made up I'm not too sure but look um I did see they're releasing uh, two new TARDIS console toys. Oh, yeah, I saw the Five yes, Doctors one. Yes, I did one. see those. Oh, yes, I have seen those. The Five Doctors one oh, yeah. the original one, yeah. I think let's, let's put the orders in, boys. We're getting that one. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ABC, you're safe for a couple of weeks. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll remove the no-tap ban, and uh, I'll be getting definitely a Five Doctors on, uh, on my bookshelf. So, look, look, we had a great reaction to that episode, positive and negative. And, um, hey, think for yourselves. Exactly listen, right. Listen to the evidence and form your own opinions. That's what it's mm. about. Exactly right. So yeah. Now we did ask uh, some people about uh, their you know the thoughts of the last uh, year of 
Doctor Who on, on being not on being on TV. So in terms of the state of the show, JB Adderton said, uh, well, the state of the show during 2019 was uh, nil. Uh, most of the casual fans have moved on to other franchises. A lot, of, a lot of fans I know didn't even finish the last series because they couldn't be bothered. Mark. Thank you. It's 1989 all over again. The tea has gotten very cold and probably very mouldy by the time. Uh, <laughs> Whilst I don't want to disagree with one of your correspondents, it's not 1989 all over again because another series is coming. Yeah. So, we're, we're, you know, the show hasn't been cancelled. Hmm. Um, was it 19... 19- 85 all over again yeah arguably mm. but you know we've had those before but I think this time around you know there's a lot more distractions you know in terms of other content to sort of latch on to and, and, and let's be honest better content you know um, there's other shows I've been preferred watching so yeah. to keep us going yeah it's funny I've been a big proponent of the idea that they should do what American shows do and have and ensure that you're never more than six months away from the next episode of Doctor Who. And American shows are very good at splitting their seasons and broadcasting their seasons in such a way that you are never more than six months away from the next episode of something in that season, often a lot less. Hmm. I've been a big proponent of that, and I've sort of felt that if you want to hold an audience's interest, then you need to do that. But in some ways, I've been proven wrong, and I'm happy to say that. As we discussed earlier in the podcast, the injection of Jodie Whittaker's Hmm. casting did create interest even though we had a very big break since we last saw the show so it it can work whether it's sustainable I don't know has streaming and binging though changed that uh, changed that scenario a bit look arguably a little bit but interestingly enough we're saying we're having this conversation a couple of weeks after Disney Plus launched The Mandalorian Part 4 dropped this morning as did High School Musical The Musical The Series which are two of the new big sort of big name franchises Mm. that that Disney Plus is using. And we were discussing just in the office at work that Disney Plus has deliberately gone down the path of dropping episodes once a week rather than what Netflix has tended to do, which is drop whole seasons. And what that has done is actually brought back the water cooler conversation. Mm. So I've noticed Mm. in our office there are people who are like, they'll go and watch The Mandalorian during the weekend, then we'll get to work on Monday. Hey, did you see The Mandalorian? What do you think of that episode? And that becomes a conversation that goes over six, eight, ten weeks. Yeah as opposed to something like The Crown, which mm. dropped in Even one hit. Yeah. And so one friend is going to watch it all in one go, and they're like, I've just finished watching Series 3 of The Crown. And it's like, well, I haven't even watched Part 1 yet, so I can't talk to you. And somebody else is up to Part 4, and somebody else is up to Part yeah. 8. And yeah. then, then you finish the series, and they're like, I've moved on to something else. So, so there isn't that water-cooler conversation. And I think one thing that Doctor Who does have, as being a terrestrial broadcast one-episode-a-week series is that it is going to stay in the consciousness a bit more because of that mm. and, and I wonder whether Disney Plus is actually going to start a bit more of a trend that, that binging is is good but it gives you a very quick a very snap it, sort it of engagement it does I mean look there are others who do it I mean I'm a big fan of, of um, I was a big Breaking Bad fan um, and I've really latched on a better called Saul yeah now AMC do drop those one a week um, so you are 10 weeks across the season. You don't always... You, you're not really that six months from the next season thing, though. I mean, the last Better Call Saul finished ages ago, mm. and we're not getting another series till into next year. When's it, So when's the new one starting? Oh, I think it's middle of next year or something. Oh, okay, it's, right. it's, we're, 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 it's well into next year, so we'll be, okay. I think, over 12 months. Right, OK. Um, between when we get the new series. I mean, look, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, obviously you had uh, El Camino uh, in between times, mm. but just, just to diverge slightly... 
But yeah, you did. I mean, all those Marvel series that were on Netflix, they, they just dropped them. And yeah. I mean, look, it gets, it gets you good stats like the day they dropped Black... I was about to say Black Panther. Um, the day they dropped Luke Cage, it broke the internet, basically. Yes. But again, I know people who watched that in a day. Yeah. And I know people who sort of got to it over three months. Yeah. And, and they never got to have that conversation. No, the conversation about how good it was, no. Plus, I think you also, perhaps with the Netflix ones, you probably also had that overload because you really there, though, every three months I was dropping a new one there for a while. Yeah. Um, so you were sort of, you know, if, if you were going through the other series slowly, it was sort of like, oh, crap, now I've got another one, really. I've got to start watching. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know Rob Irwin, on my, my co-host on the Doctor Who show, and I both watched the last series of 13 Reasons Why. Mm. And in that case, there'll be times when I overtook him and then times when he overtook me. Yeah. And he would literally say, have you seen episode 10 yet? No, I haven't. You know, message me when you have, I want to talk to you about something in that. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, by that stage, he's up to episode 13. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I wanted to say to you this. So, yeah, I, look, I, I don't know what point I was making there, but it is a very interesting dynamic. I'd actually prefer the weekly drop now because there's, yeah, so much, there's so much good quality television at the moment. Like, I feel like I'm getting pulled from pillar to post. Oh, I want to check this out quickly. I want to check... If you've got one episode dropping a week, like I'm watching, you know, The Mandalorian, I'm watching um, For All Mankind, that's dropping an episode a week. You know, I watch, uh, you know, John Oliver or Circus mm. or whatever. I like those shows drop once a week because I can sort of balance it out with everything else. You watch more TV than I do. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I watch one episode or something. And yeah. I, you know. Yeah, and I must admit, since I started watching both High School Musical, the musical, the series, and Mandalorian, there's been that, oh, cool, the next episode's out. I need to watch that now. Correct. Compare that to season two of The End of the Effing World, mm. which dropped all in one go on Netflix. Yeah. And I'm really keen to watch that, but it's kind of like, Okay, it's there. I can get That's to it. Exactly. Get to it. Yeah. yeah, and there's been lots of shows I've sort of dropped off because oh, it's there. I'll get to it at some mm. point. Or yeah. I just haven't bothered because I've moved on to something else. So. Or, or you sit down at some point, six months time, and go right over the next two weeks. I am going to watch this series of this. Yeah. And I think Doctor Who would struggle if it was in that sort of thing. I think it needs to have that. I think fandom needs to engage with it on a, on a weekly basis. Mm. That sense of hey, did you see the last episode? Did you like it? Did you hate it? What did you think of the frog? You know, that's that's yeah. important. I mean, I heard there were, were rumours running around that they were going to drop all the episodes on their, on on iPlayer, and even potentially releasing the DVDs before the series goes out yeah. uh, to try and get some, obviously get some money in. Uh, but I think I don't think it, that that panned out. I think well, I don't know yet. I mean, and that that doesn't seem to be what they're no. planning to do. And look, I know that podcasting is only a particular corner of fandom. Yeah, but it is a way that a lot of fans engage. And one of the things that I do enjoy when a new series of Doctor Who comes along is. Uh, look again you know the Doctor Who show does our hot take reviews of them but then after I've given my view and heard what Rob's view is completely devoid of what anybody else says then going to two or three different podcasts and saying what did these guys think of it mm. and, and, and sort of engaging going oh you know what, what did everybody else think of this episode and, and that's that's a fun part of enjoying the series and I think if it was all you know dropped in one day well some people would watch it one time and Mark you would you know, take a couple of years to watch it and on you my know. deathbed potentially yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think it would be a mis- misstep and I don't know that streaming in that sense would help the show yeah now um, speaking of Mr Irwin he did send some comments around the state of the show during 2019 and says after a lacklustre series 11 where I only liked half the stories I haven't missed the long I haven't missed the longer than usual wait for the episodes uh, in terms of the old stuff I revisit many of the uh, stories on the new Blu-ray sets I uh, collected most of the missing new adventures and currently have the three uber expensive Big Chief figures fully paid for 
but still without a uh, firm release date. The 8th Doctor has been a total debacle, but hopefully will be uh, the first cab off the rank in the nearest future. On the whole, making the podcast interacting with listeners has been my main Doctor Who uh, fix during 2019, and that is fine. The big difference between the breaks in the series now and something like the Wilderness Years is that there just is so much TV out there. Mm. As you intimated before, Mark, there are more series that I would quite like to watch mm. that I physically have right. anything like right. the time to watch. That's exactly just, it. There are series that, you know, if they would, there, there are series that I just will never get around to, and that's a real shame. Compared to the Wilderness Years, where particularly, where there were some points where we're literally just scrambling around desperately looking for a series that we can really get into. Babylon 5 filled that gap for a time. Yes, it did. Um, the Bill, there was a period where we were really getting oh, into yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, there wasn't a lot of TV out there. No. And no. compared to now where, you know, if I'm not watching Doctor Who, well, there's plenty of other stuff I can watch. Not yep. to mention the fact that the Blu-rays are coming out. And so that's a few evenings over a, over a month yeah. taken out. Not to mention I'm still going to pull the DVDs off the shelf. And, yeah. you know, I'm still going to watch a bit of Black 7 here and there. And I'm yeah. going to go... So. You know, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Not, not least for our podcast, Space Fall, Black Seven Podcast. Yep. Or, you know, I'm going to pull a classic series like Brighthead Revisited or our Claudius or yeah. Elizabeth R. off the shelf and rewatch them. You know, over summer, I've, I've told myself I'm going to have a crack at trying to finish Survivors, um, oh, which, okay. I, which I sort of dropped towards the end of Series 2 last time right. I tried. You know, I'd love to go back and watch the Tomorrow People sometime. But, you know, the, 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 there's more new television I can watch, never, never mind the making stuff. space for the old stuff. Exactly right. Sorry. Yes, whilst I will watch Doctor Who when it comes back, yeah. I'm, I'm okay without it. So that's our Christmas episode, guys. Thank you once again for uh, all coming around to Dave's place to do so. I hope you've all enjoyed it. Richard? Happy Festivus. David? <laughs> uh, no, thank you very much. I'm going to two Christmas parties this week, uh, one with you guys and one with the Prime Minister. And I'm sure this will be the same oh, dropper. <laughs> so I had to go purry there for a moment. But I'm sure this will be the most fun. Thank you very much. And Mark, thank you guys for uh, attending again. Uh, wishing all our listeners all the best for Christmas. Fun as always. It more, is always. Can we expect more 42 to Doomsday in the new year? Yes. Yes. I've purchased a new house along with my good wife. <laughs> And uh, there's a studio in there, a singing yeah, studio. A proper recording studio, oh, a glass drop. Yes, it's a sort of a setup like that. Has so, it got yes. the egg cartons on the wall? No, no, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it should be good enough. So maybe Mark and I will uh, up the schedule once I've actually managed to move. And people can donate to your new house via what Patreon account? <laughs> <laughs> Paymymortgage.com. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been fantastic. And uh, as always, uh, it's been great doing the podcast this year yeah, however man. infrequently it is so thank yeah. you once again Mark thank you Rob it's been good fun yet again we'll be back next year definitely and happy Christmas to everyone here and a Merry Christmas to all of you at home keep punching Santa in the balls <laughs> <laughs>
You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon. The Target Doctor Who Book Club, Uncle Terry style, Fan Wank of the Year Award and stuff! <laughs> and on speed. <laughs> Hello, I'm Robert Maboni. Welcome to stuff. <laughs> we are really great that we have dire straits. You need a band like Dire Straits in the world. Because when you say to somebody, do you like Dire Straits? They say, yeah, I think they're really great. You know they're a complete flip. <laughs> Unfortunately, this year we lost uh, one of the great legends of Doctor Who, that is Terrence Dick. So... Where did he go? This is what I hate. We didn't lose him. He died. <laughs> he died. He's not lost. He's not roaming okay. the countryside. He's dead. How did he die? He, he got died. lost. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, 321 in 2019 <laughs> saw many sad things, including the death of Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> the death of Jodie Whittaker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, alright. Let's pause it for a minute.